We are on air and Amber Racing Radio for our Kansas NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, we have a lot to talk about here tonight, and uh, we will start with some short racing news going on this weekend, uh, and then we'll do our preview for the Arkham Menard Series at Kansas. And at 9 o'clock, we'll start with the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. Uh, and the Cup Series. Uh, it'll be a preview for the Truck Series and the Cup Series at Kansas, and then some updates for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, joining me for Hot Topics uh, will be our Tampa Racing crew at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we should be hearing from our co-host here momentarily, uh, Jay Huesner, so hopefully we'll hear from him. In just a few minutes, I'll go ahead and get started with some racing news. Uh, the latest news uh, is some racing that's going to be taking place uh, this weekend. And uh, I know a lot of people probably already heard that Chase Elliott is going to compete with SRX at their season finale, Sharon Speedway. So that'll be fun uh, to see happen this weekend. Uh, Jacob Allen and Shark Racing for a special World of Outlaws win at home, another big story at Racing America. Uh, joining me now is our co-host, Jay Huthman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Great. Uh, mention, you mentioned some great racing coming up uh, this weekend, so get right into it. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of racing uh, going on this weekend, uh, and you can see a lot of it uh, over at RacingAmerica.com or FlowRacing.com. There's some live events coming on, coming up here for Ra- Racing America. Uh, May 13th, you've got the East, Mid-East Modified. It's actually been postponed to May 14th. It was originally scheduled for this Friday, May the 13th, uh, a lot of local racing, the Super Sportsman, Thunder Sportsman, Thunder Bomber, Pro Four Cylinder, Pure Stocks uh, with the Hornets. Uh, that, that's all taking place uh, this weekend on Friday. And the Alan Turner Pro Eight Models uh, also taking place at Black Flag Speedway. That's at 9 p.m. Uh, Carolina Pro Model Racing on the 14th at 4 p.m. That's at, uh, it looks like Dillon Motor Speedway. Also on the 14th, the Bob Weber Senior Memorial uh, at Star Racing, uh, Star Speedway. That's at 4 p.m. Uh, so whatever you want to watch, it's there at uh, Racing America. There's so much more uh, if you want to check out the website. Well, one one of the ones that highlighted for me on this page here was uh, talking about Casey Roderick um, returning to, to Alan Turner PLM competition. Uh, there's history on what he does during his off time of chicken farming, so that's kind of interesting. But to see him back behind the, the wheel of a race car, he's one I think uh, could have been great had he gotten the opportunity. We always talk about just being in the right place, right time, or getting that opportunity. And I think if he'd have gotten the right opportunity, he'd have gone to the to the moon and back. 
Exactly. He's a prolate model driver, uh, and uh, he'll be uh, there for the Rattler Weekend at South Alabama Speedway. Um, they're saying a mere two weeks before that Rattler Weekend at South Alabama Speedway, he received a call out from the blue from Rock Mountain Rock Motorsports owner uh, out of the blue from Rock Motorsports owner Tim Porter. Uh, he'd never met or heard of Porter before. Uh, they're based out of Chipley, just two hours east of Firefly Speedway. So uh, the fact that they were able to pair up together uh, is pretty cool that they were doing that for the Rattler. But he's going to be returning to Firefly Speedway with his new team and a full head of steam for that Alan Turner Pro Late Model Series 100 lap season opener. So, yeah, that is uh, pretty cool, the story the backstory of this driver, uh, and it is on Racing America. The one I'm looking forward to this weekend is actually uh, here in Illinois. There's a four-day event. It's the first inaugural uh, uh, event that's happening here in Illinois. Uh, They start at... um, they're calling it speed, the Illinois Speed Weeks. Uh, they're going to start uh, uh, May 12th tonight at Lincoln Speedway for the Castro Flow Race on Night in America at Lincoln. Uh, then they'll be moving over to um, Illinois Speed Week Farmer City Raceway. That's on the 13th at 6.30. And on the 14th, they're going to be, let me see if I can find it here. There's a lot of racing. Fairbury Speedway on the uh, 14th, that's at 5.50 p.m., and then they'll round that out on Sunday, May 14th, and that will be, let me see if I can find it here. It's amongst a lot of other racing that's uh, going on on the 14th. All of a sudden, I can't find it. I guess uh, Fairbury is the 14th. So, uh, yeah, just four days of big racing here in the Midwest. Yeah, I know my dad was already talking about that one, and uh, Fairbury is one of those of uh, a fan of, even from being down here, um, would be on my bucket list, maybe not at the top, but top five to top ten to get to visit. Yes. Uh, a lot of people here in the Midwest know about Fairbury. Um, there, there's just, uh, and again, go to globeracing.com. They've got a schedule there of all the racing that you can watch there over the weekend. And uh, this Illinois uh, Speed Week uh, just has uh, four big races uh, throughout the weekend. And there's some big names that are uh, going to show up at those tracks. And talking about that, I mean, Flow Racing isn't just covering these. They are uh, actually in charge of or the sponsor for several midweek races throughout the year that they've been doing the last two years. Um, and I don't know if this Illinois Speed Weeks is one of them that is being put on this by Flow Racing. Time. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I don't know if this is one of them that is one of Flow Racing series, uh, short series, though, throughout, uh, like you said, the week or weekend. Um, But it's not just that they're covering it. They are putting it on. 
I, I know my dad talked about several that they're doing throughout the year, midweek races that we haven't seen in the past that they capitalized on. Yeah, they they really have picked up on some premier events. Uh, there's also uh, one of the things that's uh, new this year is that the NASCAR Roots uh, is now on Flow Racing. There's the Pinty Series season opener at Sunset Speedway on Saturday uh, at 7 p.m. Uh, then on Sunday at 6 p.m., uh, they'll be racing again. There's the Wheel and Modified Tour at Riverhead Raceway. Uh, that's going to be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they're racing uh, uh, also on uh, May 14th at 5 p.m. The NASCAR Weekly Racing at Riverhead Speedway is also uh, this weekend South Boston Speedway uh, Weekly Racing. Uh, the Modified at Bowman Gray Stadium. I mean, they cover a lot of amazing racing, including Alaska Raceway Park. Well, we gotta we gotta quit talking about these modifieds. I get excited every time we talk about that. <laughs> looking at looking at their schedule, I've been trying to figure out where I can uh, slide in one of those weekends there and make a trip to watch them. I know uh, we thought when we were at Iowa, they had announced they were planning on coming to Iowa Speedway. A lot of things uh, unraveled there that plans went in a different direction, but we're going to get to see them them there at uh, Iowa Speedway the following year. Exactly. And you're right, this uh, racing, this uh, inaugural Illinois Speed Week is being uh, sponsored by Castrol and Flow Racing throughout the weekend. Well, and that's one of one of those you talk about inaugural events. Uh, if you get the opportunity, you always want to be a part of. You know, drivers talk about winning the inaugural event of anything. You're always going to be known as the first winner. Uh, so that's going to be a huge weekend there in, in Illinois. Yes, it is. Um, and and I, I can't wait uh, to maybe catch a few of those races this weekend. Uh, I kind of missed out on racing last weekend with it being Mother's Day. Uh, so I'm kind of get, getting that uh, racer's itch, if you will, <laughs> to see some racing this weekend. Well, and I know you hit on it, too. Uh, you mentioned that of uh, Chase Elliott, going back to that of doing the SRX. We saw what a huge hit that was with Bill Elliott. Um, I know we got to see Bill Elliott in the booth this past weekend. He's got a lot of options. Uh, there's a lot of great feedback from, from that, of him being in the booth. Um, but to see Chase mm-hmm. Elliott go back to the SRX, uh, fans got to be excited about that. They put on a heck of a show there at Nashville. Yeah, that's their uh, – actually, the um... – uh, the race that he's going to be racing in is going to be at Sharon Speedway, and that's their season finale. So I think that happens uh, in August. Uh, I'm not sure of the date right now. I was just trying to find that info. It was just here, and now it's gone. <laughs> yeah, Nash- Nashville was the one he did last year. Uh, this year, you mentioned it will be at the okay. season finale. Um, so a different track for him. Uh, again, that goes back to Jeff Gordon's coaching of, you know, step outside your comfort zone, outside the box um, to make yes. yourself a better driver. Yes. Uh, there are, several drivers have been doing that, including William Byron uh, at uh, HMS. And William Byron has won 
quite a few of the uh, uh, late model races that he's entered this uh, this year. So I'm sure we'll see more from uh, William Byron as well. Well, and Sharon, you might know this. I don't. I don't know the back history for uh, Justin Haley. Uh, as I mentioned, my dad he he watches flow racing a lot. Um, he was in one of the late model events here uh, this past week. Uh, I don't remember if he came from a dirt background. No, I don't think he came from a dirt background. He raced in the uh, Canon Pro Series and um, uh, you know short track racing, but I don't recall him being a, uh, a dirt track racer. I think he's more of a, a national racer from okay. my recollection. Well, there's a, there, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I couldn't recall for sure either, but there's another one stepping out and doing something different. And, and we've seen his performance on the track as uh, College Racing is building their cup program. He's gotten uh, a couple of top fives, top tens, good runs. Been in position to have a couple more, just things don't pan out always uh, whether you have the car or not. That's true. Uh, I'm just trying to see if they've got, they don't have anything about dirt racing here. He started with uh, quarter midgets. Uh, Yeah, I don't, Indiana State Series and state championships. But, yeah, I think most of it has been uh, on the who races, let's see, South Carolina, an older brother, Quentin, races dirt modified and called himself and Justin. Uh, so, yeah, I guess uh, he's got some dirt in his background, but uh, I think primarily it's asphalt racing. That uh, see, I remember him as JJ Haley, <laughs> but he did change that to Justin Haley at some point. Okay, well, you can put it on his list now, then. Mhm. Okay, so uh, a lot of uh, good racing coming up this weekend. Uh, in the short track racing venue. We're going to go ahead and move on to the Arkham Menard Series. They are racing uh, this weekend, uh, and they will be uh, racing this weekend at uh, Kansas Speedway, where the Truck Series and the Cup Series are also racing. Their race will be uh, the Dutch Boy 150 on May 14th. So that's Saturday at 1 p.m. Central. That's uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. And it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So a lot to look forward to uh, the Dutch Boy 150. Uh, We'll go over the points here in just a little bit. Uh, But just so you know, this is... uh, it will be also on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 391, and if you're online, it's 981. Uh, MRN will have coverage along with ArcaRacing.com. This is a 1.5-mile paved trioval, and they'll be racing 100 laps. Now, on Saturday, they'll have a practice-slash-qualifying session from 9.45 to 10.30 a.m. Central Time. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the race starts at 1 p.m. And we'll, that's local time. 
It will be televised on Fox Sports Live. Well, I, well, I hate to, to hear, Jay. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I hate to start with this, but I think we got to address it right away. Um, looking at the entry list, correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel Dye drives for Gallagher Racing, GMS, correct? Yes. Or, or did, okay. Yes, their driver lineup has TBA, which is to be announced. He was second in points. Uh, I had not heard any update. As far as I know, he is still suspended by Arkham Menard series, so he will fall back. He was one point out of the lead for the, the series uh, title there, uh, chasing the title. It uh, doesn't look like he's going to be in the car this weekend. Yeah, uh, Sal was uh, mentioning to me he thought that he was never really uh, charged. Uh, everything that I've read said that he was indeed charged uh, for a uh, felony assault uh, thing. So I, I, I'm i really up in the air with what's going on with Daniel's eye at this point. Uh, but, yeah, they, they'll, hopefully they'll announce a different driver for that number 43 car this weekend. Uh, but Daniel Guy uh, is not on the list this weekend. Uh, and you're right, that's, that's something just to be aware of. Uh, but there are some other drivers for us to keep an eye on uh, this weekend in this race. Roger Carruth, for the first time in his career, is entering uh, the event this weekend as a championship points leader. So he's hitting the Kansas at the top of the standings after just three races, but he has a mere full of rubber, his rubber racing teammate, Nick Sanchez, to contend with. Nick is coming off his second Arkham Art Series victory in the most recent race at Talladega, where he used a three-wide move moments before the final caution flag wave, the caution flag wave, to steal the lead and secure his victory. So both drivers are among participants this weekend, uh, but there's some other drivers for us to watch, too. Well, it's a whole team because you got Venturini Motorsports as they head to Kansas with three entries, headlined by the Daytona victor, Corey Heim, in the number 20, who is one of the drivers Sanchez had to pass at Talladega to earn that victory. Then you got Tony Breidinger. She continues her full season of competition with Venturini in the number 25. While we got a, an additional driver, our event for Dean Gus Dean. He picks up an additional ARC event here with the Venturini in the number 15. So, you know I'm excited to see him in the in the Venturini Motorsports. I knew you would be. Uh, Drew Dollar is also returning to pilot the number 18 Toyota for KBM, Kyle Busch Motorsports. And Connor Mosack takes the reins of the number 23 Chevrolet for Brett Holmes Racing. Uh, remember Scott Melton? He's recovering from a leg injury following a crash at Talladega Super Speedway last month. So Will Kimmel is returning to ARCA competition as the driver of his uh, number 69 Toyota this weekend. That is really good news. I I always like to see Will Kimmel on the racetrack. And we wish Scott Melton a speedy recovery with his injury. Most certainly so. we got a couple of drivers in different places. Got a couple of drivers making a first or second start. We got South Africa's Arnott Cock uh, expected to make his second Arkham Menard Series start Saturday afternoon, while Ron Vandemeyer Jr. is slated to make his season debut 
after making three ARCA starts last season. Uh, a couple other expected entries include Greg Van Alst, Amber Balcane, Alex, Ch- uh, Alex Club, and Ryan Huff. And then we'll run through the uh, entire list here in just a second. Yeah, we'll go ahead and start from the bottom up, and I'll start. In the 06, uh, Racing for Rescue Chevrolet for Wayne Peterson is Zachary Tinkle from Speedway, Indiana. His crew chief is Nate Moeller. Also, Alex Club from Morris, Illinois, in the 03 Club Racing Ford uh, for his own race team. And Chris Nichols will be on top of the pit box for him. Well, I mentioned uh, Westville, South Africa driver Arnott Cook. He'll be in the number 01 Polar, brand, Polar Bear brand South Africa in a Hillenburg Toyota, crew chief by Kim Monroe. And then we mentioned Will Kimmel. He's going to have Bill Kimmel as his crew chief in the number 69 Melton McFadden Agency Toyota. Okay, everybody's familiar with Brad Smith in the number 48 from Shelby Township, Michigan. He'll be driving the Chevrolet for his team, and Colby Evans was the crew chief. And as we mentioned before, uh, that uh, Mar Gallagher Chevrolet number 43 is PBA for GMS. I mentioned Greg Van Alst, uh, regular here on the show. He'll be driving his own Ford number 35, coming out of Anderson, Indiana, with Jim Long as his crew chief. And then uh, coming from Canada, we got one from Africa and one from Canada, Winnipeg, Manitoba's Amber Balcane. Uh, she's also been on the show. She's in the Icon Ford number 30 with Mark Rett as the crew chief. Driving the number 27 is Ron Vandermeer from Sheridan, Illinois. Uh, he's driving the Ford for David Richmond. And Ron Vandermeer Sr. will be his crew chief. Uh, and the number 25 for Venturing Motorsports uh, from Hillsboro, California, is Tony Beininger. Uh, she'll be driving a Toyota and Kevin Reed Jr. as the crew chief. Now, this one was a little bit of a surprise to me. The number 23, Connor Mozak, getting a start for uh, Stacy Holmes' own Chevrolet. Shane Huffman will be the crew chief for that Charlotte, North Carolina driver. And then Corey Heim needs no introduction. In the number 20, Venturini with Shannon Roosh as the crew chief, coming out of Marietta, Georgia. Okay, also up from Georgia, but Atlanta, Georgia, is Drew Dollar driving the number 18 Kyle Busch Racing, Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota, and Mark McFarland is his crew chief. Kevin Reed will be the crew chief for the other Venturini number 15 for Gus Bain from Boston, South Carolina. As we move into the Hillenburg machines, we got the number 12 Chevrolet. That'll be uh, driver D.L. Wilson coming out of Mark, Mart, Texas. Dick Dohaney will be on the box. Mike Sharoof, he'll be crew chief in the Hillenburg Toyota number 11 for Bryce Haugenberg out of West Fargo, North Dakota. And then in the uh, Andy Hillenburg Ford, and uh, hailing from Williamsburg, Virginia, is Ryan Huck. He'll be driving the number 10, and Stephen Burton will be his purchase. And the number 7 Toyota for Eric Caldell is Matt Wilson from Stonedale, Arkansas. Jeremy Petty is his 
his crew chief. Moving up, we talked about the teammates battling for the points lead, the Max Siegel uh, Rev Racing Chevrolets. And then number six is Raja Caruth coming out of Washington, D.C. And he's got veteran crew chief Brad Parrott in his ear. And then Nick Sanchez from Miami, Florida. He's going to have Matt Boucher behind him in the number two. Okay. So uh, I didn't count the two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen. So 20 cars in the race this weekend at Kansas Speedway. And, again, this race will be at 1 p.m. Uh, Central, 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, May the 14th. So uh, definitely looking forward to watching these guys out on this 1.5-mile track. That's a big track for some of these ARCA Series drivers, um, but they do race at Daytona and Talladega, which is a super speedway, but it's a little bit different when you're on a 1.5-mile track. These guys are usually more used to tracks that are under a mile in length. You're right. Uh, the Super Speedway, obviously, an experience all of in itself. But as they, especially as they grow into the NASCAR feeding system, into the trucks and the Xfinity, getting used in the Cup Series, getting used to these mile and a half tracks is a big deal. And Kansas is a great one to get some experience at. It is indeed. Uh, now, I just want to mention, too, that uh, we've got some other races that are coming up here. Uh, the next race for the Arkham Menard Series East is also a race that uh, the Arkham Menard Series will be racing in, and there will be points given for the Sioux Chiefs Showdown as well. That is June the 11th, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern at Iowa Speedway, and you'll want to mark your calendars for this one. It's one race but three different points-paying events uh, as far as uh, how the points are going to be distributed. And it will be televised on MAP-TV. Uh, but before that race takes you out, there's going to be the Arkham Series West racing at Portland International Raceway, the Portland 100 on June 4th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. That's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern, 8 30 uh, Central, and that one will be televised or streamed, I guess I should say, on Flow Race. So, again, that, there's a tight punk battle uh, shaping up there in the West, as well as the East, <laughs> and uh, the Arkham Art Series. So, really important. And this will be just the second event um, for the Sioux Chief Showdown. So, uh, things will start to shape up there in that. Well, as as you mentioned there, uh, all the series uh, have a little bit of a battle going on. The Arkham Menard series here is one of the tighter ones amongst the top three or four. Mentioned Rajak mm-hmm. Ruth is your points leader with uh, one top five and two top tens. Had a one point over Daniel Dye. Now he will uh, miss out this weekend. But Nick Sanchez has a victory and one top five and two top tens is only four points back. Then Parker Chase, and I don't think Parker was on on the entry list. That's too bad because he's yeah. 11 points out. Yeah, that's true. All right. He's then, not uh, on fifth the place. Yeah, I just realized that, that he wasn't on the entry list. Uh, fifth spot, 
even though he's only got two races out of the three in with one victory, two top fives, two top tens, is uh, Corey Heim at 21 back. Tony Breidinger is 28 back. Gus Dean, minus 34. Amber Balcane at minus 38. Ryan Huff at minus 42. And D.L. Wilson at minus 43. And tied in that 10th spot is uh, Andy Jankowicz. Uh, had two starts at minus 43 as well, but he also wasn't on the uh, entry list. So going to be some big point shuffling going on there. Uh, mentioned Corey Heim having only two starts in the top five. Gus Dean only two starts is seventh, uh, and he's got Venturini Motorsports with him. So he's looking to climb the board. That's true. In the ARCA East, it's Sammy Smith at the top of the list, and uh, that one's got a little bit more separation uh, with the top drivers. But among the drivers that are behind that that top spot, uh, there's some tight competition in there. Well, we thought maybe that if somebody was going to start chipping away at a Smith lead, and he came right back, picked up another victory to, to reestablish. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> he put an end to that talk. Yes, she did. Taylor's, Taylor Grace is nine points behind Kim, and it's Leland Honeyman at 25 points back, and this is where it starts to get tight. Christian Rose is in fourth place, 51 points back, and just one point behind him is Stephanie Moyer with 52 points back. Then it goes to Brad Smith, minus 61. Jake Finch at minus 66. Uh, then there's a little bit of a spread here. Donald Fiege from Canada, he's in eighth place. Uh, he's 74 points back. And Daniel Escato uh, from Mexico is 109 points back uh, in ninth spot. But also tied in ninth spot uh, at 109 points back is Willie Mullins. So the only six of these drivers have raced all four races. A couple have three races in with Jake Finch and Daniel Fiege. Uh, but Daniel Escato and Willie Mullins only have two races in, and they're still up in the top ten. That's pretty cool. Well, and real quick before we move to the trucks, I know we hit the top of the hour, but the tr- uh, West Series mentioned might be the tightest. Jake Drew is your leader, uh, all three top fives. Second is Tanner Reef at minus five. Cole Moore at minus six. Paul Pedronacilli Jr. at minus 14. Austin Herzog at minus 15. That's your top five. Six is Todd Souza at 17 back. Takuma Koga minus 24. Joey East minus 30. Sebastian Aries at minus 36. And Bridget Burgess at minus 37. Those are your top 10, and those are 10 out of 11 drivers that have made all three starts. So uh, a little more competitive, I think, on the West Series. It, it really is. I remember last year they were very competitive as well, and uh, I can't wait to see what they, they do this year. Uh, there's a lot of great articles up at Arca Racing, uh, so you'll want to check those out. Uh, a little update here uh, about Scott Network and uh, how you can get tickets to the Dutch Boy World Fifty for Saturday afternoon as well. So let's go ahead and move on to our truck series. Uh, the Campion Truck Series is racing this weekend. Um, or, yeah, they are racing this weekend. They'll be racing in the Heart of America 200 at Kansas Speedway. That's Saturday, May the 14th, 
It will be a night race at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Fox Sports Online will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 7 Eastern, and MRN and Pirates X1 NASCAR Radio will have the uh, coverage as well. Now, the first for this truck race is $716,932. Uh, the distance is 201 miles over 134 laps. Uh, the first two stages are 30 laps each. Stage 1 ends on lap 30, stage 2 on lap 60. And then the final lap, or the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 134. Well, and we start with uh, going back, as Deegan is going back to where it all started in the truck. Haley Deegan is returning to Kansas Speedway, the track where she made her Camping World Truck Series debut back in 2020. And Deegan busted on the scene of the trucks in 2020 at Kansas, starting 34th and racing her way up to a 16th place finish, which set a new record for best finish by a female making her series debut. Now, fast forward to this season. Right now, Deegan is 28th in points, having put up an average finish of 26.4 through seven races. The watch for Deegan to bounce back this weekend from her slow start in 2022. Kansas is one of her better tracks. In two starts at the 1.5-mile facility, she's put up an average finish of 14.5. And last season tied Jennifer Jo Cobb, who in 2014 was the best finish by a female at Kansas Speedway in the truck series with that 13th place finish. Okay, can you hear me, Jay? Yep. Okay, I wasn't sure because I was having a little problem uh, with my headphones here. Uh, did you finish your section? Yep. Uh, you talk about Jesse Awuji coming back as well. Okay, yes, Jesse Awuji is going to be back in the truck with Rayum Brothers Racing uh, this weekend, piloting the number 43 Toyota at Kansas Speedway. He's been paired with crew chief Gregory Rail, uh, and Awuji is attempting to make a series season debut this weekend. He raced in the series October 30th of 21 at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, so he made a series track debut at Kansas also in, in last year, he started 38th and including So uh, looking to uh, make some improvements there this weekend at Kansas. Well, I know we talk about some first-time things uh, at Kansas, and that happens to be winners. First-time winners are always fun to see, and Kansas Speedway has been producing them since the 1.5-mile track opened its gate to the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series back in 2001, and that was when Ricky Hendrick winning the inaugural event. We talked about winning an inaugural event means a lot. Now, five of the 19 different camp NASCAR Camping World Truck Series Kansas Speedway winners were first-time winners in the series, which is a 26.3%. The most recent was Nice Motorsports' Ross Jastain, who grabbed his first Camping World Truck Series win back in 2019. The others to do it, William Byron in 2016, James Busher did it in 2012, Eric Darnell in 2007, John Wood did it in 2003, and then I mentioned Ricky Hendrick in 2001. Now, of the 35 drivers entered this weekend at Kansas Speedway, 22 different drivers are looking for their first career Camping World Truck Series victory. 
So uh, the numbers and the odds are pretty good, but there's some uh, heavy contenders you're going to have to contend with. All right, Sharon, can you still hear me? Oops. Sorry, I had my okay. mute on. Uh, there's the okay. playoff bubble as well. And, uh, going into Kansas Speedway, we are at the halfway point of the regular season. It's the eighth race on the 2022 schedule for the Truck Series, uh, and that means it's the halfway point of the 16-race regular season. This year, they've been uh, racing at a feverish pace with four different drivers locking themselves into the postseason by virtue of wins, leaving just six spots up for grabs. Following Darlington, uh, Zane Smith has wins at Daytona and Florida, then roads at Bristol, Chase Taylor Smith at Las Vegas, and John Hunter-Nemechek won at Darlington. They've all earned their spots and to the playoffs. Now heading into Kansas, Hall of Freezing Racing Stuart Friesen right now is in fifth place. He is the highest ranked driver without a win this season. He is currently 53 points up on the cut line. And Kansas has been just a bit of a struggle for Friesen in the past. In six starts there, he has just one top top five finish, and that came in 2018. He finished 14th in this race just last season. So you know he's looking to do a little bit better than that this week. The other five drivers above the cut line include Carson Hosebach, who has a 36-point advantage, uh, Ty Majeski, 33 points up, Christian Ecke, 31 points up, Grant Finfinger, just a mere 15 points up, and one point behind him is Matt Crafton, 14 points to the good. And Taylor Gray is the first driver who's outside that playoff cut point. Uh, he's 14 points behind Matt Crafton in the 10th place. And the final postseason transfer spot. Ankrum surely is hoping to make some points up on his competitors this weekend at Kansas. His only career victory came at a similarly shaped 1.5-mile track. That was Kentucky Speedway. Ankrum has made five starts at Kansas, though, posting a best finish of 11th, and that came in 2019. Now, the drivers that are below the cut line heading into this weekend at Kansas, uh, I would keep an eye on Tyler Ankrum. The California neighbor, native scored his only career back victory, as we mentioned, at Kentucky Speedway. Uh, and again, he's made five starts uh, at uh, Kansas with the best finish of 11. I don't know why that was repeated, but uh, it was. <laughs> So what about your guys, Jay? Okay, Jay. mine locked up there. I, yeah, no, I got mine back. Oh, okay. I locked it up. Uh, John, John Hunter Nemechek uh, got his first win of the 2022 season and locks himself into the playoffs. And Kyle Busch Motorsports driver John Hunter Nemechek picked up that first win of the 2022 season last weekend at Darlington Raceway. The big victory helped him jump three spots in the championship standing from fifth all the way up to second, and in the process, joining his KBM teammate Chandler Smith for securing his spot in the playoffs. Anemichek is the fourth different driver to secure that spot in the playoffs by virtue of win this season, 
joining Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes mentioned Chandler Smith. Currently, Nemechek sits runner-up in the series standings, 30 points back from Ben Rhodes, who's in the lead. And Nemechek's season has started off to a slow, off slow in comparison to last year, where this time he had already won two of his five victories. This season, Nemechek had put up one win, four top fives, and seven starts. He's also led the second most laps, though, with 154 out of out front at a 16.74%, who is just behind Rhodes with the most at 166 laps in the lead, and that's 18.04%. Now watch for Nemechek to make it, try to make it back-to-back wins this weekend at Kansas now that he's kicked open that gate to victory lane this year. Nemechek has made four truck starts at Kansas, collecting three top five finishes, and he finished fifth in this race last season. Okay. Uh, Again, this is kind of cool because they're going to be racing under the lights this weekend at Kansas Speedway. We're used to mainly seeing daytime races at that track, Uh, but the season has uh, lifted off with the Prothora, of robust competition producing six different winners in the first seven races. Now the truck competitors have got their sights set on Kansas Speedway for the Heart of America's 200 on Saturday. Kansas is a 1.5-mile track and has hosted 23 truck series races dating back to their inaugural event held on July 7th of 2001. Uh, the first Camping World Truck Series race at Kansas was actually won by Ricky Hendrick driving, of course, a Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. The 23 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races at Kansas have produced 15 different pole winners and 19 different race winners. So we'll start with NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr. He leads the series in poles at Kansas. He has a total of three. Then there's Thor Sport Racing's Matt Crafton is the only active driver this weekend with a series pole that he took in 2019. Kyle Busch uh, has, uh, and Matt Crafton are actually tied for the most wins at Kansas Speedway. Bush has his wins in 14, 17, and 21. Crafton carries his wins in 13, 15, and 20. Uh, so Crafton is the only active driver that is uh, entered this weekend at Kansas. Now they will have a truck series practice that will run from 12 p.m. until 1:30 p.m. Eastern time, and that will be followed by the Kinetic Gas Tech Full Qualifying at 1:30 p.m. Eastern time. Both events, along with the race, are televised on Fox. Truck Series points. Uh, scroll down here. Let me get down to it. Going into Well, we know Ben Rhodes is at the top of the list. There we go. Driver He's point. been up there for most yeah, of the season. 
Ben Rhodes, yeah, you're right. Uh, still up on top now with Nemechek, as we mentioned, sliding up behind him. Okay, mine didn't load and for me. And just a three-point difference there. Um, uh, actually, uh, it's a 30-point difference. John Hunter Nemechek gained uh, three points from last weekend's win. Okay, uh, Jayskis isn't loading it for me. Oh, okay. Well, let me go ahead and get it then. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek uh, moves into second place. He's 30 points back. Uh, then it's Chandler Smith. Uh, he lost a spot. He's now in third third place, two points behind Nemechek. Uh, then it's Stuart Breeson in fourth place. He's 10 points back. Uh, he also lost a spot last week. And Zane Smith. Uh, lost a spot. He's now in fifth place, and uh, he is 43 points back from the leader. So it's kind of tight there uh, between Stuart Friesen and Zane Smith, and then between John Hunter Nemechek and Chandler Smith. In seventh place, you've got Ty Majewski. Uh, he's 63 points back. Uh, Christian Eckes, Grant Infinger, uh, just to give an idea of the spread, Anfinger in ninth place is 82 points back. Tanner Gray in 12th, that's the cutoff spot, is 96 points back. Uh, below him is Parker Kligerman, Tyler Ankrem, Matt Crafton, and Derek Krause. Uh, those folks are uh, on the bubble uh, and will need a win to get in. The most and I think that's where... To Zane Smith with his two wins. That's where I think it gets interesting. Uh, yeah, obviously, we like to see who's winning, but the real battle is that that playoff bubble. Especially when you talk about we talked about Kansas first time winner. Somebody jumping in with the first time win can really tighten up and put some pressure on those bubble drivers. They really can, and, and that could be somebody, you know, for. It could be somebody who's uh, not in that bubble area. Uh, they could be further back in the standings. But if they get that win, and I believe in the truck series, they have to be in the top 20, uh, they can still get into the playoffs. That's correct. Uh, top 20, as long as you're top 20 in points, a victory will move you up and in. Uh, as long as there aren't more than in the truck series, we take uh, 10 drivers. Uh, I think that truck series is maybe the closest we've seen to having a full field of winners. I believe they had nine one year. or uh, Actually, mm-hmm. I think it was back then they used eight. They had seven out of eight um, that had victories. So that's something to watch, too. Uh, I know we talk about it a lot, win and you're in. But theoretically, one win may not lock you in if there is enough winners that fill up the field. Here in the truck series, it would be ten. Yeah, Corey Heim is a good example. He's 29th in the series point standings. He has three races under his belt. Of the seven races they've raced so far, uh, he's been in three of them. He does have one win, but he's outside the top twenty. So that uh, means that he is not eligible for playoffs. Well, and the the other factor to that you mentioned, though, because he hasn't attempted all all starts. Remember, we couldn't even get Grant Infringer yeah. in under that rule. <laughs> so, yes. uh, not not making an attempt at every race uh, disqualifies you as well, unless it's approved by NASCAR. Yes, that is so true. 
so you, you, I just want to explain for those people who see that Corey Heim has that victory uh, and wondering why we're not mentioning him. Uh, that's the reasons why. Okay, let's go ahead and move on now to the Xfinity Series. Uh, they are not racing this weekend. Uh, their next race is going to be Saturday, May the 21st, and that will be at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, we'll give more details on that when we preview that race next week. But I just want to make sure uh, you know that we're just giving you updates here uh, for the Xfinity Series. So, uh, Jay, let's go ahead and get into some updates here in the Xfinity side. Well, the first update we'll give is the Snoko Rookie of the Year, and that involves Hill opening up a points lead. Uh, it's not much has changed for the season's rookies in the first 11 races, except that Austin Hill continues to open up that points lead on his rookie competitors. He's driving for Richard Childress Racing and leading the way in 2022 NASCAR Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings after he picked up a win at Daytona and has four top fives and five top tens on the season. Now, Hill so far is the only rookie with a win this season. He currently holds an 84-point lead over RCR teammate and fellow rookie Sheldon Creed. Now, although Sheldon Creed suffered some engine trouble early on last weekend's race at Darlington, that left him in last place, he remained second in the battle for the Snoko Rookie of the Year honors. Total, he's posted five top tens this season, currently sits 15th place in the series' driver's standing. Kyle Sieg is third in the NASCAR Xfinity Series rookie standings following Darlington, He is 203 points back from Austin Hill. Sieg has posted a best finish of 16th at Las Vegas this year. Now, he's ineligible for the playoffs as he isn't competing full-time in this series, but has racked up 99 points in his eight starts this season. And Jesse Awuji has posted four starts on the year and accumulated 24 points and currently ranked in that four spot in the rookie standings. Okay, and just like we did with the truck series, we're going to look at the Xfinity Series playoff bubble uh, because fewer and fewer spots are becoming available. Seven drivers have already clinched their spot this season in the playoffs with their wins. So that includes Ty Gibbs, Noah Gregson, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Algauer, Josh Berry, Brandon Jones, and Austin Hill, and that leaves just five spots left with 15 races to go for the regular season. So we might see a full complement of drivers uh, in this series as well. And it's so good to see Josh Berry on that list. Last year he won, but because he was a part-time driver, he was not able to compete in the playoffs. Although yet to post to win this season, Junior Motorsports Sam Mayer right now sits in the eighth place, that eighth place position with a 69-point cushion Ahead of the playoff cutoff, Mayer's had a top five finish in all but one of the last six races this season and can very well work his way to a win, joining his teammates uh, Noah Gregson, Justin Algauer, and Josh Berry. That would be a really big event uh, for Junior Motorsports. In the ninth place spot is Stuart Hunt's racing Dwyer Herbst, where he's 54 points ahead of the cut line. He's just one point shy of the 10th spot as uh, 
of the 10th position, and that's RSS Racing Brian C., who's 53 points up on the cut line. Sieg has posted one top five and seven top tens in the 11 starts this season. Rounding out those last two spots in the current playoff outlook for Brandon Castle, he's got a 35-point cushion, and defending series champion Daniel Hemrick, he's just 22 points up. Uh, that's a little bit of a surprise for Daniel Hemrick. I know he was with a different team last year, but this year he's with Colleg Racing, and uh, he's not having the type of year that he had last year. Just outside the postseason cutoff is uh, the driver of round three, our motorsport Chevrolet, Anthony Alfredo. He's uh, down Carl two parts. Uh, the 23-year-old has yet to post the series well, but he has posted a top five and three top tens and eight top three class this season. Alfredo is the only driver outside the playoff cut line currently within striking distance uh, for the postseason. Jeff Burton is 62 points back. Sheldon Creed, 68 points back. Brent Office, 72. Brandon Brown, minus 80. Wyatt Smider, minus a whopping 127. And Jeremy Clements, also down 127 points. All are more than 60 points back from Darren Hummert, who sits in 12th in the final playoff transfer spot. Um, those drivers that I just mentioned, those drivers all need to get a win if they want to get into the playoffs. Well, I'll tell you what, when you look at it, Deb Burton won last year. Uh, Brett Moffitt has come really close. Brandon Brown, Maya mm-hmm. Schneider, and Jeremy Clements, especially when you talk to road course racing, uh, two yep. of them have a win, and Jeremy, or also actually Jeremy Clements does as well. So that's where we talk about that win from outside moving you in. Uh, could make that bubble there extremely tight. Exactly, and then it could drop out. Uh, drivers like Landon Castle and Daniel Hemrick, uh, depending on how many of them do that. So that's something to watch as we continue to wind down the regular season. Now, one one driver who finally picked up a victory, Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar, as he conquered Darlington once again. And Junior Motorsports driver Justin Algar was riding a 34-race winless streak before last weekend's race at Darlington Raceway. But after a dominant performance at the 1.366-mile track, the veteran made his way back to victory lane and in the process, again at this point, clinched a spot in the 2022 Xfinity Series playoffs. Now, it was only a matter of time before Algar posted his 17th Series win, considering his runner-up finish the week before in Dover and his four consecutive top ten finishes at the start of the season. His history at Darlington Raceway, uh, one win, four top fives, and nine top tens in 13 starts, only added to those odds. Now, Algar will have this weekend off to soak up his Darlington win. Before returning to the track, we'll talk about it at Texas Motor Speedway for the SRS Distribution 250. That'll be on May 21st where there he's posted two top five finishes in last season's races. And, again, we'll preview that coming up next Thursday. Yes, indeed. Uh, Can you pull up the Xfinity points, uh, Jay? 
All right, let me see if that one will load. If for not, me. I can cover it. But just yeah, I don't. I don't know. Are, do you you use JSKI, right? I don't know why they're. Yeah, uh, I, I'm able to pull it up. I'm not sure. Let me see if the Xfinity series. Yeah, this one tells me loading. I don't know why the truck series wouldn't uh, wouldn't load for me. Uh, AJ Allmendinger okay. is your points leader. Eleven starts. He does have a one race win and two stage wins for a total of seven playoff points. Noah Gregson second minus twenty five, but he's got fifteen playoff points built up. Ty Gibbs, when they reset right now, would be your leader with seventeen playoff points as he's got three race wins and two stage wins. Justin Algar with that victory and two stage wins, four spot at minus 92, but has seven playoff points, along with Josh Berry in fifth, a total of seven playoff points off his one victory and two stages. Then sixth place, Brandon Jones has one victory and one stage win, has six playoff points. Mentioned Sam Mayer, not a victory yet, but two stage wins for two playoff points, currently in seventh spot. Eighth is Riley Herbs, and then ninth at Ryan Sieg. Uh, they don't have any playoff points built up as of yet, no victories, but they are minus 146 and minus 147. Uh, Austin Hill has a victory as a rookie in tenth spot and has five playoff points. Landon Castle right now, none of, none of the points he needs, and only 11th in, or 11th in the points is 165 behind the leader. He's got to be more concerned who's behind him, though. You mentioned Daniel Hemrick, mm-hmm. last year's champion, uh, driving for College Racing this year. Uh, right now, 178 points back from the points lead. Does have two stage victories for two playoff points. He's got 22-point gap over Anthony Alfredo, Jeb Burton, Sheldon Creed, Brett Moffitt, Brandon Brown, Alex LeBlay, Myatt Schneider, and Jeremy Clements as your top 20. And the only – oh, we've got a couple more. J.J. Yale has made all 11 starts in 21st, as has Bailey Curley, Ryan Vargas in 23rd and 24th, and Joe Graff Jr. Uh, and right there, Joe Graff in 25th. Made all 11 starts, his top 25 in points, so could still get a victory to get, to, uh, get his way in. Um, those are the drivers that would be eligible with a victory. Yes, indeed. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to the uh, Cup Series, today, and I'm going to mention that to you because uh, I'm hoping we've got some time left over at the end. We have not given an update uh, with regard to our fantasy group in our Tamperiso crew. Uh, some of those I, I know I don't want to hear, uh, personally. <laughs> but, uh, there is one series that I'm kind of anxious to see where I'm at. So let's all go right, ahead and do well, the Cup Series next. All right. Okay. They are racing this weekend, Sunday, May the 15th. They have been helped. 400 at Kansas Speedway at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the first for this race is $7,117,591. FX1 uh, will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. 
They'll have Radio Calendar and Sirius XM and NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 400.5 miles, over 267 laps. Uh, the first two stages, well, stage one ends at lap 80. Stage two is 85 laps and ends at lap 165. And then you've got the final stage uh, ending on lap 267 for 102 laps uh, in that final stage. And with the uh, Cup Series, we always like to take a look at some featured matchups that fans can bet on for the 2022 Advent Health 400. Uh, the top one's kind of obvious. I'm going to scroll down to the bottom. We'll get to that one. Uh, <laughs> but we'll start with Kevin Harvick versus Tyler Reddick. Now, if this race was two years ago, Harvick would have been the odds-on favorite for the race at Kansas. He's been nothing less than dominant at one of his favorite tracks. He owns a win and five top fives in his last eight races here. Now, while he hasn't broke through for his first win yet this year, he's been consistently improving off of a slow start. Now, coming off a fourth-place finish at Darlington, he has the momentum he needs to prevail at one of his best tracks. Tyler Reddick, on the other hand, had another week where he so easily could have won but ultimately finished second. Uh, it's been a theme that Reddick would like to forget in search of his first career win in the NASCAR Cup Series, and both of these drivers will be hungry to find that much-needed checkered flag on Sunday. Okay, next up we've got Eric Alamorola and Eric Jones. Uh, Eric Jones was fast once again at one of his best tracks last weekend at Darlington. He contended in the top five all day long, until that late trouble halted his chances at his very first win of the season. Almarola took a different approach in racing to an 11th place finish. Uh, he was his usual self-racing clean and smart, and ultimately finding himself in contention later in the race. Uh, and that's pretty much what you have to do at Darlington. Almarola seems to find himself in or near the top 10 every week, no matter what kind of track. Uh, they're racing. As Jones leaves Darlington disappointed, his hot rod didn't post a better result. He now hits the Kansas where he owns three top fives in his last eight races. Now, both of these drivers have shown that they have a fast car this year, and they're both going to be looking to put all the pieces of the puzzle together this week at Kansas. The next matchup we want to look at is Kyle Larson versus Denny Hamlin. Now, one could argue that these two had the fastest cars at the Lady in Black last weekend, but both had disappointing finishes. Larson finished last in the race after his engine blew as he was battling back in the top 10 from an earlier spin. Now, Hamlin had to start from the rear of the field, but had worked himself all the way up to the lead with 70 laps left. Another mistake, unfortunately, in the pits. This time it was a gun malfunctioning on his lug nut. Put Hamlin in the 18th position on a restart. From there, he got caught up in a big wreck that ended his chances of winning. Now, looking to this weekend, Kansas has been a friendly track to both of these drivers. Hamlin has posted two wins in his last eight races, while Larson is coming off a dominating win in the most recent there, uh, race there. 
Can either of these drivers find some good luck and get themselves their second win of the season? Or if they both can, you can expect a thrilling battle for that checkered flag between two championship contenders. And that that puts us up to our top matchup, Sharon. You get to cover it. (laughs) Exactly. And and this is... This is the obvious one that you were referring to earlier between Joey Logano and William Byron. This is one a lot of folks are going to be watching this weekend. This matchup, matchup almost rates itself as Logano put Byron into the wall to secure his first win of the season last week at Darlington. Joey called it revenge for Byron allegedly pushing it up, up the track earlier in the race, but nonetheless, Byron was not too pleased with how that final lap of the race went down. Now, Byron's car fell off quickly in the last five laps, uh, and that allowed Joey to take advantage of losing a one-second gap in that span. Now, Byron had plenty to say about the Lagano's move in his post-race interviews, calling him a moron, and saying he does that stuff all the time. We expect that these two are going to get tangled up again this season, so... Byron will get his first chance at bettering Logano this week at Kansas. He only has one top five finish there, but given his consistency, he'll be the driver to watch out for as he looks to secure his third win of the season. Logano, on the other hand, well, he heads to one of his stronger tracks with a win and two top fives in his last eight races at Kansas. So, uh, yeah, this is the one everybody's going to be watching this weekend. Well, I hate to, I hate to disappoint. I'm not sure we'll see it uh, get any kind of uh, roughness out of it at Kansas. It's a little bit of a fast track. But it will be interesting to see how they race around each other throughout the event. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, when we look at the loop metrics, uh, they're loving the next-gen car. We're a quarter of the way through the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season, and the next-gen car has been producing some great racing, and the stats back it up. Uh, We need Owen on here for our analytics, but I'll read them off here. Uh, The next-gen car has produced some close action-packed competition. Just looking at the racing at the front of the field, with the exception of the Richmond race, uh, every race all but one of the NASCAR Cup Series 12 races thus far, has had a tighter gap between the car leading the race and the car running second, not just at the checkered flag, but throughout the entire race. Uh, In fact, the median time differential between first and second in 22 is just half of what it was in the previous five-year average of races at these same tracks. It was uh, 0.6 seconds versus 1.2 seconds. And not only are the competitors much tighter throughout the event, but it's never been closer at the finishes, too. The average margin of victory of the first 12 races of the, of the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season is a .420 second, the closest average margin of victory through the first 12 races of the season since advent of electric scoring in 1993. The next closest margin of victory was in 2014, was at 0.651 seconds. Plus, the second, the first, I'm sorry, the first 12 races of the 2022 season have produced a Cup Series record of 10 races, concluding with a margin of victory of less than a second. Now, on top of all that, 
the level of competition at the front of the pack entirely has been raised as well. The 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season has produced 637 green flag passes for the lead, the series most through the first 12 races of a season since this loop data statistic was initially tabulated in 27, or 2007, which has been the last 16 seasons. So the numbers backing up what NASCAR wanted, uh, a little closer action, and we've definitely seen parity. Yes, indeed. Uh, but there are a few winless winners <laughs> a quarter of the way through this season. A quarter of the way through the 2022 Cup Series season, and 15 drivers are riding winless streets that date back uh, to before the start of the year, and three of the 15 are former Kansas Speedway winners heading into Sunday's Advent Health 400 on Sunday. Uh, National Cup Series drivers on a winless streak that started before this season include Chris Buescher, uh, 207 races since his last win at Pocono in 2016, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 175. His last win was Daytona, July of 17. Justin Haley on a 102 streak. Uh, and his attempts since then have been 45. Um, his last win was Daytona in 2019. Eric Jones, 95 uh, races since he last uh, won. And that was at Darlington in September of uh, 19, Cole Custer, Kentucky, uh, of July 2020 was his last one. That's 67 races ago. Uh, 66 races ago uh, was Austin Dillon's last one at Texas on Sunday of uh, uh, July 19th of 2020. Kevin Harvick's on the 55 winless streak. Uh, his last one came at Bristol in September of 20. Uh, Michael McDowell's last win came at Daytona February 14th last year. He's got a 47 uh, race streak of uh, no wins. Then there's Christopher Bell riding on 46. His last win was at the Daytona Road Course in February of 21. Brad Keselowski has a uh, 38 race streak, his last win at Talladega in April of 21. Uh, all these other ones are in 21 since their last race. Uh, Kurt Busch on the 27th winless streak. Uh, Atlanta in July of last year. Eric Almarola, 26 wins. Win races since his last win uh, that came at Loudoun of 2021. Uh, Ryan Blaney, Riding on 22 winless streak. His last win came at Daytona in August of 21. Martin Truex Jr. last won at Richmond in September of 2021. He's uh, riding a 20 race winless streak. And Bubba Wallace uh, last win at Talladega in October of last year. He's riding on a 17 race winless streak. Among the three drivers that previously won at Kansas Speedway, in the Cup Series, riding a winless streak that dates back to before the start of 2022, includes Stuart Moss Racing's Kevin Harvick. He has the longest winless streak to overcome this weekend at 55 races dating back to Bristol of 2020. But Kansas is one of his best tracks. 
In 32 starts, he's put up a series leading five poles. He's tied the series most wins at three, and he also has 12 top fives and 19 top tens. He also leads every single free race loop data category at Kansas. He has an average finish of 7.750, series best, average running position, 8.529. All of these are series best. Uh, driver rating at 109.9, 649 fastest laps run, 6,120 laps in the top 15. That represents 82.3% of the total, uh, and 1,124 quality passes, again, leads in all of those categories. Next on the list is Paul Kansas Flash riding a large winless streak is RFK Racing's Brad Keselowski. He hasn't won in the series since Talladega uh, April of last season, 38 races ago. Now, Keselowski is hoping to get his first win with his new team, RFK Racing. Keselowski's made 24 starts at Kansas, posting one pole, two wins, seven top fives, and 13 top tens. Also on this list is Martin Truex Jr. He's the third different driver to formerly win at Kansas and is currently riding on Willow Street that dates back to prior to the start of the season. Truex's last one was at Richmond Raceway in September uh, 20 races ago. Now the New Jersey native returns to Kansas and hopes to stop that Willow Street. Uh, Truex made 27 starts at Kansas, posting two poles, two wins, nine top fives, and 14 top cows. So who's going to stop that winless streak this weekend is the big question. Well, it certainly, uh, certainly is and would be interesting to see uh, when we mentioned somebody new getting a win. Now, already having locked his name in there is Joey Logano, as he adds his name to the playoffs as the 10th different driver to win this season. And Team Penske's Joey Logano was not going to be denied that win last weekend at Darlington as, uh, Raceway as he shoved William Byron out of the way uh, in the closing laps of the race. Logano grabbed his first win at Darlington, the first of the 2022 season, and the 28th of his NASCAR Cup Series career. The win also cemented Logano in the postseason, joining his rookie teammate Austin Sindrick, who clicked his ticket in the playoffs with winning the season-opening Daytona 500. Logano is the 10th different driver winner uh, this season, which just leaves six spots still up for grabs going into the playoffs. The season uh, is the 11th consecutive year in the NASCAR Cup Series that Logano has put up a victory, going from 2012 all the way through 2022. That's 12 races. Through the 12 races this season, he has amassed one win uh, coming there at Darlington, and then four top fives and six top tens. He is currently fourth in the driver standings, 79 points behind. Chase Elliott, who is in the standings lead. Now, Logano heads to Kansas Speedway this weekend as one of eight former winners in the field. Logano's made 25 series starts at Kansas, posting two poles, three wins, eight top fives, and ten top tens. 
Okay. Well, Kansas is going to give uh, these drivers also one last chance before Texas to earn a spot in that all-star race that's taking place there. Uh, so uh, for the by virtue of a points-paying race victory, uh, they can earn a spot into that all-star race. Uh, the NASCAR Cup Series heads to Texas Motor Speedway for that special event next weekend. Drivers eligible for the all-star race consist of the Cup Series drivers who have earned a points-paying race victory in either last year or this year. Previous all-star race winners who are competing full-time this season and previous Cup Series champions who are competing full-time this year. So drivers who currently have clinched a spot uh, through Darlington and making returns visits to the all-star race are A.J. Allmendinger, Eric Alarola, Christopher Bell, Ryan Blaney, Alex Bowman, Chase Briscoe, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Ross Castain, Chase Elliott, Danny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, and Michael McDowell. Then there's also Martin Trex Jr., Austin Cindric, and Bubba Wallace. Now, after Kansas this weekend, drivers who have not already secured their spot into the all-star race will have four more shots at Texas next weekend. The NASCAR Open will immediately precede the all-star race, and that will consist of three stages, 20 laps, 20 laps, or 20 laps. Each segment... A winner will advance to the all-star race and will the win, as will the winner of the fan vote. Fans can vote for their favorite driver who is not qualified for the all-star race by visiting NASCAR.com for details. All right, Jay? Hendrick Motorsports, there... Yep, Hendrick Motorsports is looking to win their third consecutive race on 1.5-mile tracks this season. As mentioned, next up is the NASCAR Cup Series is the Advent Health 400 at Kansas Speedway, Sunday, May 15th, 3 p.m. Eastern. The series then will be a quarter of the way through the 36th race season, and Kansas marks the third time in 2022 the next-gen car will compete on a 1.5-mile speedway. The previous two 1.5-mile tracks on the schedule this season were won by Hendrick Motorsports drivers. Alex Bowman did it at Las Vegas, and William Byron did it at Atlanta. Now, this weekend at Kansas, the organization will look to keep the streak alive and get their third win of the year. Hendrick Motorsports won the first two NASCAR Cup Series races at Kansas Speedway, and it started with NASCAR Hall of Famer driver Jeff Gordon in 2001 and 2002. The organization actually leads the NASCAR Cup Series and wins at Kansas with eight victories among four drivers. Uh, Jeff Gordon had three. He also came back and did it in 2014 as well as those first two. Jimmy Johnson has three coming in 2008, 11, and 15. Uh, Chase Elliott has one, which was the playoffs of 2018. And then Kyle Larson's won one victory, was in the playoffs for 2021. Now, the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Kyle Larson, mentioned is the most recent NASCAR Cup Series winner at Kansas Speedway, taking the checkered flag in last year's playoff race. 
Well, we're a quarter of the way through a 36-race schedule uh, with the introduction of the next-gen car, and already the competition has produced eight different pole winners and ten different race winners, making this season tied with 2001, 14, and 19 seasons for the second-most race winners through 12 races in the modern era. Uh, That's from 72 to the present. Uh, that's behind 2000, 2003 with 11 different winners. And now the series turns its attention to Kansas Speedway uh, to see what happens there. Uh, groundbreaking for Kansas Speedway was uh, held on May 25th of 1999. Uh, the official opening of Kansas Speedway was in 2001, with the first Cup Series race being held on September 30th of that year. The event was won by Hendrick Motorsports driver and Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon, uh, and uh, he actually won the first two Cup Series races held at Kansas uh, when he won again in 2002. Twelve seasons between April and October events, the 1.5-mile Kansas Speedway track underwent a repave, adding variable banking in the quarters and bringing them to 17 to 20 degrees. In total, there have been 32 Cup Series races at Kansas, one event from 2010 to 10, uh, I'm sorry, from 2001 to 2010, and two races a year since 2011. The 32 Cup Series races have produced 16 different pole winners and 16 different winners uh, from 2001 to 21. Uh, Stewart Racing's Kevin Harvick leads the series in poles at Kansas with five. Uh, from the fall of 13, 2014 sweep, the spring of 18, and the spring of 19. Now, this weekend, six of the 16 uh, pole winners are active this weekend, including Kevin Harvick with his five poles, Joy Logano and Martin Truex, each have two, and then with one pole are Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, and Kurt Busch. Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, Joy Logano and Denny Hamlin lead the Cup Series in wins uh, at Kansas with three victories each. This weekend, eight of the 16 drivers, uh, Kansas winners, are also active. That includes Denny Hamlin with three. Denny Hamlin, Joy Logano, Kevin Harvick all have three wins. Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. all have two. Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott each have one. This weekend's race at Kansas Speedway uh, is uh, scheduled uh, to be 400 miles, uh, but they will also have on-track activity to begin on Saturday with May 14th with a practice from 5 to 5.35 p.m. Eastern, as directly followed by the Bushlight Pole qualifying at 5.35. Both events are all televised on Fox Sports 1. So uh, definitely a lot to look forward to here. And we do have a few minutes for you to get into our fantasy ranking. All right. Uh, I was scrambling a little bit. Uh, this kind of lead us into hot topics. I don't know that it was up on the actual hot topics board, but I had to adjust the yeah. truck series points as Matt Crafton's uh, appeal in the truck series was overturned. So that adjusted our pick order as well as our uh, points here 
So got those updated this afternoon or this evening, if you will. So we'll start with the trucks because that's where it was uh, first applicable. Uh, we have a tie at the top of the board. Andy and Tommy are at 35 points. Sam picked up six points in that change, uh, is now third uh, with 33. That pushed James back to fourth in 20, with 28. Brian and Owen at 27. Uh, I am at 26. And Mike and Sharon are now tied at 23. Still a close points battle, two races, um, 13, 12 point difference from top to bottom there. So I know you're at the bottom, Sharon, but you're not out of it because it's less than two. Well, two races. and I picked, I picked Chase Elliott last week, and he didn't race because of the, having no qualifying session because of rain. So that kind of left me with zero points uh, for the last week. So I've got some catch up to do now. You know, I, I don't the truck series, I don't know what happened with him in the trucks. That's why he didn't make it in the Xfinity series. Um, and I know Sam had one of them and you had the other. And I feel bad. I tried to, I wasn't uh, watching when it happened to, to realize that, um, to try and update you guys. But, yeah, two of you had Chase Elliott over the weekend that in races he didn't make. So uh, that was tough. Yeah. I, I don't deny that. <laughs> Yeah, and I was busy all weekend, so I missed it too, or I would have tried to pick somebody different. But, uh, yeah, that that was a bummer. <laughs> now, here's here's where you may not want to hear this one if your headphones come undone, yeah, I, don't I understand. Yeah, I don't want to hear this one. <laughs> the Xfinity Series, uh, Andy is at 64. James has been creeping in up to 57. I'm at 52. Brian and Mike at 45. Tommy at 43. Three, Sam 37, Owen 32, Sharon, you're at 31. Now here there's a 33-point difference from top to bottom. Uh, that one's going to be a little bit tougher to overcome. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. On the cup side, uh, this one has gone back and forth at the top. Brian come out strong. Tommy had taken the points lead, but Brian's got it back by a point. He's at 77. Tommy's at 76. Sharon, you and I are third, tied for third here at 71. Uh, then we got a jump back to Mike is at 53, along with Sam tied at 53 as well. James at 50, and Andy and Owen at 49. So there, there's a 28-point uh, gap from top to bottom. And let me find the adjusted overall here. Uh, okay, here overall. Mentioned the, the back and forth. Tommy actually owns the best uh, total points at 154. Brian and myself are at 149. Aaron's at 148. I'm sorry, Andy's at 148. Uh, James at 135. Sharon, you're at 125. Sam, 123. Mike, 121. And Owen, 108. So there it's a total of 46 points top to bottom overall, which again is uh, five races roughly worth of points. And that's over mm-hmm. three series. So that's easily made up uh, when we look overall. And then again, we get into the double points uh, once we get into the playoff. Yes, indeed. This has just not been in my year uh, in the Xfinity series at all. Uh, I've had a couple of hits in the truck series, but uh, both of those series, I've got a lot of catch up to do. Uh, but I'm glad to see some different names up at the top. 
Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Brian coming in, come in real strong, uh, kind of peaking a little bit early, if you will, when we talk about that when it comes to uh, point uh, championships. Uh, Tommy's been mm-hmm. Tommy and James have actually been the strongest here as of late. Um, I know you're feeling I was at the bottom of the truck series. I had a couple of good weeks to include the victory with John Hunter Nemechek. Um, so that kind of brought me out of that conversation of the bottom of any of the series. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, thank you for uh, keeping track of all of that for us, Jay. We do appreciate it. And, um, uh, I know we haven't done an update for a while, and I wanted to see if we could get that in here tonight as well. So uh, I'm glad well, we were able to do and, it. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if uh, if Mike's on tonight. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to him. Uh, I, know, I know we would have gotten to it with the uh, hot topics, but I was able to adjust the uh, points in the pick order because um, it actually did change up the way the pick order went. Um, so I got to give a big shout out to Mike to notify me, and uh, we made that adjustment prior to getting yeah, too deep into the pit. Yeah, that's with the Matt and the Peel. Right, correct. Yeah, because it affe- it affected yeah. Sam instead of going second has to go second to last. Um, so yeah, it changed who got to pick in what order, uh, which was the right thing to do. Uh, I feel bad again. Sam uh, is one of the ones that had uh, Chase Elliott over the past weekend. Uh, uh, so he's going uh, early in the Xfinity Series next race. But um, it was the right thing to do, and we were able to catch it quick enough, thanks to Mike putting that up there and notifying me. Right. Sam Sam didn't uh, pick somebody to replace uh, Chase either? No, that's it. Like I said, I think you had him in the trucks, and I think Sam had him in the Xfinity, or vice versa, and neither one of you had changed over. And I say I didn't catch it until it was too late. Um, should have realized it right away on Friday with the qualifying, um, with the rain out. Yeah, he doesn't have the uh, the 88 team for Junior Motorsports. Doesn't have the points. Yeah. Yep. So yep, that was a bummer. But uh, we'll move on to the next race, and hopefully we'll get some good picks in for Kansas. All right. I know we got a couple in. Uh, I'll try and get more update on that tonight into tomorrow. Okay, well, we are now at the top of the hour, and that means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Game. And uh, joining us uh, as part of our camp racing crew tonight is Michael Rizal. Welcome to Sean. Hey, I guess I called in just in time to hear you all talking about the bottom of the fantasy league, so here I am. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm there with you on a couple of those series, so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rock here. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into our hot topics here. Mike, uh, you're the, the new guy uh, on the show here tonight, so why don't you uh, start us off? Sure. Uh, Jay kind of spoiled it a little bit, but unusual, uh, we talk about penalties a lot, and we talk about appeals processes to penalties a lot. Well, here's a penalty that got overturned. Matt Crafton was previously disqualified from the Darlington Truck Series race from a seventh-place finish. Uh, the team appealed that penalty, and today they were notified that the appeal has been approved. So now Matt Crafton is once again uh, credited with uh, seventh-place finishing position at le- last weekend's race at Darlington. Okay. So did they happen to mention how they won it? 
Um, I think it had something to do with they were originally penalized for ride heights, and they examined the, the, the vehicle, and I, I didn't get – I just saw Bob's tweet and then a couple follow-up replies, so I didn't get too many technical details, but it had to do with a ride height measurement that may have been inaccurate at the racetrack, and then on further examination of the truck, they determined that it was legal. Okay, Jay, any thoughts on that? Well, here's the thing. If you follow the thread that Bob, with Bob Pockris, um, it announced that the appeal was overturned and his points uh, awarded for that seventh place finish. Um, several that I saw were fans questioning <laughs> of why, and there is no answer to that. Uh, Mike did say as it was had to do with the ride height, and Bob Pockris said there's two possibilities. Normally when they check a ride height at the track, if it fails, they give it an X amount of time, and they'll check it again as the truck settles and gets back to a normal starting position or whatever. Uh, there may have been a infraction by NASCAR of how long they waited, not giving it enough time, or they determined it was due to race damage. And that's where, and I'll let Mike follow up on this, it doesn't, with the appeal being overturned, it doesn't specify as to how or why. It just says it's been overturned. So there's that transparency issue. Uh, we know it's been overturned, but we're not real sure how or why. Um, but those are the two reasons that Bob Pockers gave when it comes to ride height. Again, after the race, if it's too high, they measure it again after a certain amount of time. And I don't know what that time window is. So it's possible that the team felt that NASCAR did it a little too early and didn't fully allow it to settle or they did prove that it was race damage and not something they had done intentionally as far as uh, uh, adjusting on the truck. Okay. He was actually in fifth place, uh, lost that fifth place spot, and uh, now that's all been restored as well as his points uh, from Darlington. So it uh, doesn't happen too often that an appeal gets overturned in NASCAR, so uh, they must have uh, done a good job in, in presenting their case. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I know one of the reasons I, I've heard this before anyway, uh, and I'm sure it might apply to this as well. NASCAR, I guess, hesitates to bring up uh, some of the details of some of these uh, penalties because they don't want other teams to kind of catch on and maybe try to do some of the same things uh, to gain an advantage on the track. In this case, I don't know what they could have gained um, or whatever, but uh, maybe it's the appeal process, the argument uh, that caused them to overturn the appeal that they don't want to make public. I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, it, it does create a little bit of a transparency issue. Um, and, uh, well, I understand where Astor's coming from. Uh, that if there was some way to give us some kind of details, I think it would be helpful, but... Um, I'm going to trust NASCAR on this and that they're making the right decision in overturning this penalty. So, Mike, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I, like uh, like Jay already said, uh, I've seen the basically the same things that Jay has said, which is pretty unclear, and it's mostly just speculation. Um, so as far as what they did, I don't know. Um, but you're right. The, it's kind of a delicate balance between we as fans and then obviously the competitors as well would like some transparency from NASCAR, but you also it's not hard to see NASCAR's point of view of, we want to make the rules clear, but we don't want to make it easy to see what other teams are doing and then just maybe tweak their process just a little bit to, to, to find a new way to skirt around the rules kind of a thing. So I can, I can see both sides on that deal. Um, if I'm Denny Hamlin, maybe I'm getting a little excited that a, a penalty got overruled, but I really don't think that's going to help out. Remember, Denny Hamlin has a pending appeal for the loss of a wheel on the number 11 car. Um, at, that wasn't Talladega. Where was it? It was Dover, where the 11 car lost a wheel on a pit stop. And uh, Joe Gibbs Racing via the 11 team is, is appealing that penalty. I still wouldn't get my hopes up uh, if I was Denny Hamlin, even though the appeals board was generous today. Jay? Follow? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Of it. If it's a rules infraction, they don't want to specify how or where to give other teams an idea. I kind of feel like maybe this is a case of it might have been that NASCAR uh, jumped the gun with the uh, the time window uh, between the measurements, um, but that would be speculation on my part. I don't see where there'd be an issue in releasing what why they, it was overturned. Um, if they say it was race damage, okay, I understand then teams might be going, okay, well, we can rub our truck here and bump I think back to Jimmy Johnson uh, being told over the radio, you know, back it into the wall uh, in your victory burnout. Okay, I I get that. And obviously, uh, if there's that slight window of opportunity, a team's going to take it. But as Mike said, you know, and and obviously the the Twitter feed uh, with Bob Pockris, that's something fans want to know. And when it's not being given, it just leads to that conspiracy and thought process that NASCAR is hiding something. And I think they could eliminate a lot of that by being a little more straightforward. Hey, it was overturned for this reason. If NASCAR made a mistake and, and measured too early, say, hey, we measured too early. They said it. You know, they said we didn't give it enough time. Okay, we'll make sure we give it enough time next time and move on. I, I just don't like the unknown behind it. Uh, I'm happy for Matt Crafton, and if that was the case, um, that it was race damage or measured too quickly and not given time, I'm happy he got his spot back and the points awarded appropriately. Yeah, and, and if it was for that reason, I could see NASCAR uh, coming out and saying that. The fact that they're not coming out and saying that, I think that there's, there probably was some race damage. And that and again, I'm speculating as well, uh, just based on, you know, the thought process here. Um, and if it is race damage, you don't want to open up that Pandora's box. Uh, you mentioned the situation with, with uh, Jimmy Johnson and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, he was telling Jimmy to, to mess up the back end of the car if he wins the race uh, because they were hiding something. So they wanted to cover up that, whatever they did, uh, by damaging the car so that it wouldn't show up on the post-race inspection. So um, I can see 
if it's that the case, NASCAR is not going to want to say that uh, because it is going to open the door. So uh, I, I get why they don't want to say it. Um, and I know it's tough on fans, uh, but from a competition point of view, I'm kind of glad that they're not saying it for, for, the, for that reason because that, then we always talk about how we, we really don't like penalties. Um, we understand the need for penalties. And we support them. In fact, sometimes we want stronger penalties for some of those things. But at the same time, we don't want a slew of more penalties simply because guys are wrecking their car or creating the damage to hide uh, things that they're doing to gain competitive advantage. Mike? Seems like you always go to me right as my phone screen turns off, so I can't hit the mute button right away. Anyway, uh, really not a whole lot more to add. Uh, I'm glad for, for the 88 team. They needed a good run. They earned a good run. I'm glad to see that they're able to get credit and points for that good run that they had at Darlington. Um, it's a rare thing that you see a penalty overturned, so it's a good thing that that appeals process is there, and if they got the call right, they got the call right, and I'm glad to see it. There you go. Okay, Jay, what what do you have on your list? Well, let me see which one we want to cover. I know there were several uh listed up here. We'll go we'll go with uh oh, that one was stirring the pot. I'll put, I'll go with the fan vote. Uh normally Mike is one that brings this up. I know in years past it's been on behalf of Matt DeBenedetto. But we read about it tonight. The all-star fan vote is open, and we got the all-star race coming up next uh, two weeks. What's this week? No, week and a half. Um, so what do, you, what do you think of the ones that possibly win the all-star vote and who yet races their way in? Uh, do I need to cover that just so uh, everybody's up on that? Yeah, I probably, probably should here. Yeah, let me pull, okay. it, pull it up real uh, quick. The drivers that have already clinched a starting spot through Darlington uh, and making return visits are A.J. Allendinger, Eric Alarola, Christopher Bell, Ryan Blaney, Alex Bowman, Chase Briscoe, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Ross Chastain, Chase Elliott, Daryl Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, Joey Lozano, Michael Dowell, Martin Truex Jr., Austin Cindric, and uh, Bubba Wallace. Now, I did read somewhere, uh, maybe that was over at Jayski's, where they stand uh, with the top ten drivers in that fan boat. Uh, let me see if I can get that. Yeah, the top ten in the all-star vote so far, um, in the alphabetical order, are Chris Busher, Harrison Burton, Cole Custer, Austin Dillon, Justin Haley, Eric Jones, Corey LaJoy, Tyler Reddick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Daniel Suarez. There's also a fan vote that they fans can vote uh, for drivers over at NASCAR.com. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, 
it, it looks like all the big heavy hitters are more or less already have already raced their way in. Uh, obviously, Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott were both beneficiaries of this fan vote before they started winning races. Uh, Bubba Wallace won uh, a race last year, so obviously he's in. So those are some of your heavy hitters out of there. As far as fan vote favorites, if I was going to pick, uh, Tyler Reddick, I mean, I could see him racing his way in without any trouble. So, uh, the guys who are most likely to win the fan vote are kind of my guys that I would pick to win, race their way in as well. So Tyler Reddick, Eric Jones, and Daniel Suarez, I think have just about as good of a shot at winning the fan vote or winning a segment in the All-Star Open and racing their way in. So kind of two birds with one stone there, but those are probably my three picks for either one. Okay. Um yeah, I, I would kind of agree with that. Uh, I do think that some other possibles are Justin Haley or even Cole Custer. Uh, I know this hasn't been their best year uh, this year, uh, and maybe even Chris Buescher, but they have had some weeks that have gone really well for them. Chris Buescher is from Casper, so I know he really would love uh, to make it into that all-star race. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's going to be, and I think Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is also from Texas. So those two guys, I know they really want to get in, uh, and that might help. That might be uh, on some of the fans' minds as well uh, when they're considering who they're voting for uh, to get into that all-star race. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's always fun. Uh, all of those guys could probably race their way in. Uh, through the Open, uh, if they win one of the stages in the Open, uh, that's an automatic ticket into the All-Star race as well. So three of those guys uh, might win uh, one of those three stages in that All-Star race. So uh, they may have to go deep with the uh, fan vote there. Okay. I say this year in and year out. Uh, Darlington is like my favorite race to watch for the paint schemes. When you talk about just go, 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 hard nose-to-nose racing, it comes from this all-star open race. Uh, And you guys have mentioned it. Uh, I think Tyler Reddick, in in my opinion, Tyler Reddick and Daniel Suarez are in one way or another uh, because I think they get the fan vote. But I do believe those two would have to be my top two picks uh, overall mm-hmm. to race their way in. Now you got Austin Dillon and Cole Custer, who are our previous cup winners um, that could be battling it out. And I know each driver has their fan base, but I think the other one that really, if he doesn't race his way in just by the name, would be Harrison Burton. Um, if they don't race their way in, I think Harrison Burton and Austin Dillon probably carry the next behind, like I said, Tyler Reddick and Daniel Suarez. I really feel those two are going to be your top vote-getters, but I don't think they're going to need it because I think they race their way in during the Open. Okay, Mike. Or, yeah, Mike, any follow-up? Well, I mean, I agree with Jay. The, it's weird because the All-Star Open over the past probably five years or more has been, I agree, some of the best racing you're going to see, hard-nosed, desperate kind of racing. 
usually clean uh, or at least unintentionally dirty. You don't really see anybody intentionally wrecking somebody in the All-Star Open. Uh, but some of, the, some of the best racing that you see, because this is really an opportunity for these guys to showcase their talent without being eclipsed by some of the, the, the better known or more established drivers in the Cup Series at that time. So it's a really great opportunity for these guys to showcase their talent and really have a good chance to, to put on a show for the fans without getting the show stolen by, by other guys. Um, but the other side of that coin is the all-star race itself. Eh, take it or leave it. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, I think this Open is going to be interesting this year because you don't have some of the heavy hitters that you've had in previous years. We, we got previous cup winners or guys who everyone knew were going to, as soon as they broke out, we knew they were going to be big in the cup series. It, it previously was dominated by all the upcoming Hendrick Motorsports drivers. Well, they're all automatically in now by virtue of race wins or championships. So now you don't have those foregone conclusion kind of entries. I would say the Open this year is probably as wide open as it's been in, in at least five years, just in terms of we don't know who's going to win, and there's a lot of opportunity, especially with the new car, for some of these guys to go out there and surprise us. Exactly, and that's why I say I agree with you guys on who the top guys are. I just think that there's other drivers that could sneak their way in there by winning one of those stages, and um, uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I agree with you. The Open is a do not miss. Don't skip the Open and go straight to the All-Star Race. You want to check out the Open this year out at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, Jay? Yeah, the the two that I would consider is considered dark horses uh, to race their way in um, would be Justin Haley and uh, and Corey LaJoy. We've seen them have good runs at different ra- at different races throughout the year so far. Todd Dillon maybe a little bit. Um, the more I thought about it though, in years past, what we've seen, uh, Corey LaJoy seems to be able to campaign and and bring forth a, a big fan base when it comes to that. Whether it be putting his face on the car, we've seen in the past got a lot of popularity. So uh, if he doesn't race his way in, I think he might be the one that would will be surprising as far as the top fan get uh, fan uh, vote. Um, which is good to see. I mean, I like to see a team like Spire Motorsports. And like I said, we've seen some some flashes of good runs, uh, whether the finish was there or not. I know at the Super Speedways, he's still gotten some good finishes. But we've seen him as one that really has capitalized on this next-gen car and, and narrowing that gap of running up towards the front where he's not used to. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if that's, if that's who gets in. Excuse me. Yes, indeed. Okay, Mike, let's move on to another hot topic. Well, I'm pretty sure I know which one Jay said he was didn't want to bring up because it was going to stir the pot too much, but I've got my spoon. The ratings are <laughs> in for this past weekend. We had a Formula One race in Miami going head-to-head with a NASCAR Cup Series race at Darlington. Both races started at the exact same time. The ratings, uh, according to Adam Stern, the revised Nielsen numbers that came out uh, two days ago from ESPN, NASCAR just barely beat Formula One at 2.61 million viewers versus 2.58 million viewers. 
Now, that's not the total part of the story. It looks good for NASCAR and that they, they ended up edging out Formula One in total viewers. The concerning thing for NASCAR where they need to focus on is Formula One beat NASCAR in that key 18 to 49 demographic. Formula One had 735,000 viewers in that demographic. NASCAR only had 517,000, so a pretty significant disparity there and definitely something that NASCAR needs to look at going forward. Okay, Jay. Okay, I really thought this one had been covered. I wasn't trying to avoid that one. I thought it thought it had been covered. Um, I know Mike and I uh, went back and forth uh, on it um, on the chat. I'm not saying numbers lie, but they can be manipulated. And and I think I, I broke it down with Mike of if you have a hundred uh, viewers to go up 10%, you need to pick up 10 viewers. If you only have 10 to begin with, you pick up one and you go up 10%. To, so, to say they're up 10% can be manipulated, uh, you know, from, from your vantage point. Now, does that mean I don't think that it's a concern? I, I really don't, um, but I, I, NASCAR does need to be aware of it. There are some things Mike has pointed out that they do better maybe with race coverage in the way the broadcast is brought. But I personally think, A, because it's new to the states, um, it's something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. What I would look at is three to five years long-term success. And I think as fans started watching it, for me personally, the fact that it is not about individual drivers, it is about teams. You have the team orders, and certain teams are out there just to block to help another driver win. I think that's where fans lose interest. Um, so I, I'm not overly concerned about it. Uh, I'm aware of it, and I think NASCAR is aware of it as well. But I think when they're concerned about viewership and, and fighting battles, they got to look at the NFL because, again, long-term, they, they lose out to the NFL. So I think that's where their concern is, not Formula One. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. I don't think Formula One is is the competition. <laughs> uh, they, this is one race that they've raced here in the states, and keep in mind there was a special about Formula One on Netflix that a lot of people watched, and it's those are the people that came in and you know got behind uh, this race at Miami in South Beach. There were a lot of celebrities there. Uh, and they were promoting it. Uh, there was some extra, what do I want to say, um, boost behind the Formula One race uh, that they normally would not get if it was held in Spain or somewhere else. Uh, so I, I really caution uh, taking too much uh, emphasis on this uh, particular ranking. NASCAR still did really well. They they increased their viewers. Uh, but do they want more of the 1845 demographic? You bet they do. So they're going to go after that, and they're going to they obviously are going to see this and continue to do some of the things that they're doing to increase increase their viewership this year. Because viewership has been up overall within NASCAR this season. So I, I, I just caution everybody making a big deal out of this because we're talking one race. Uh, this is Formula One that races all over the world, 
Uh, they don't just race in the U.S. And, uh, you know, if you've got one race to go to and this is your only shot, uh, a lot of people are going to invest a little bit more to take advantage of that one shot to get to that one race. NASCAR has 36 races across the country, and fans have a lot more opportunity to get to those races. So if you look at it overall, uh, I think the numbers are hugely uh, at NASCAR's advantage if you look at it overall. Uh, We don't have those stats, so that's a speculation on my part. But 36 races compared to this one race here in the States, uh, that's huge. (laughs) I think it is huge. Mike? All right. This is going to be a long one, Sharon. You might want to do your announcement first just to make sure that I don't run over on your time here. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Uh, We are at that point of the show that I like to make a short announcement here for our first-time listeners. If you're tuning in for the first time, uh, we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. However, we're going to continue to record beyond that time as we continue our conversation uh, covering some of the hot topics here. Um, that means we're going to be mid-sentence when we go off the air. Uh, the way you're going to be able to hear the rest of that conversation is when we're done, I go out on Twitter at Bamper Racing site on Twitter and just let people know that the podcast is now available. At that point, you can go to the player at com and fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation uh, that is part of our bonus overtime material. So, again, didn't want anybody to be caught off guard not knowing how to hear the rest of that conversation. Uh, and, again, this is for our first-time listeners that are tuning in. So with that, Jay, or I'm sorry, Mike, you're up. Pull out your All right. Off. So I completely agree with you all regarding the novelty of Formula One. It's, obviously, it's not a new sport, but it's, it's got a little bit of a newness factor to the U.S. because there's a lot of U.S. fans who are just getting into it. However, and this is a big however, NASCAR has a really bad bad problem with ignoring smoke until the whole house is on fire. And not only that, NASCAR media is particularly bad about not just ignoring the smoke, but actively shouting down people who are pointing to the smoke because they say, well, if you don't like it, just don't watch. If you, if you think there's a problem, you're not a real fan. That is an unfortunate, very common reply to people who point out issues with NASCAR. And this is an area <laughs> where I think there's smoke. I don't know that the house is on fire yet, but there's smoke here. I'm not worried about Formula One eclipsing NASCAR as the most popular motorsport in the U.S. However, the growth of Formula One, the rapid growth of Formula One within the U.S., especially for now the two races they run in the U.S., it should be uh, eye-opening and somewhat concerning to NASCAR because for the past 10 years, that NASCAR's excuse for why viewership and attendance was declining. I, I know we've seen an uptick over the past couple of years, but over the past 10 years or so, there's been a pretty sharp downward trend. Uh, and the excuse for that is, well, people just aren't as interested in motorsports anymore. People have other things that they're doing right now. Well, if that was the case, 
you wouldn't see that kind of huge growth in Formula One like we're seeing right now. So there's obviously an appeal problem with NASCAR and its product, the way that they're reaching out to their potential viewers that Formula One is capitalizing on, and we shouldn't be trying to explain it away by saying, oh, well, NASCAR was on FS1 and Formula One was on ABC, so they were on a broadcast network, or Formula One has novelty or whatever excuses or explanations or whatever, that's not what the road we should be going down. We also shouldn't be looking at trying to beat Formula One. NASCAR is not in a competition with Formula One. What NASCAR needs to do is figure out why Formula One is being successful and apply that formula to NASCAR's model to present their product better and be successful as well. A rising tide lifts all boats. Formula One is on the rise. So if NASCAR can figure out why and capitalize on it, then NASCAR can benefit from that as well. And I think what really they need to focus on is improving the broadcast product. We have 50 to 100,000 people in the stands on any given weekend. We've got two to five million people watching the race on TV every given weekend. So improving the product that we present to those fans who are watching on TV is a, a very high priority, or at least it needs to be. Fans who watched the Formula One broadcast, they saw a very clean, tight, professional, and uh, I don't want to say sparse, but it, it, it was it was it didn't have the extraneous fluff and the filler that Fox does. You watch a Fox broadcast of a NASCAR race, and NBC is, is almost as bad, but Fox is just, it's a clown show anymore. They've got goofy skits. They're trying to force uncomfortable jokes. They've got inappropriate side discussions about unrelated topics. Every other minute, it's, hey, remember when? None of that exists in a Formula One broadcast. It's all focused on the race at the track at that moment. They're not trying to cut us to an aside or anything like that. I think that's a big difference that Formula One can teach NASCAR is get its broadcast product back in line. And hopefully with the new negotiation for a NASCAR broadcasting contract, those are some of the directions they can take the product and hopefully present it to fans in a more desirable way. Okay, Jay, I think you got this. That is that is one of those of uh, you're not going to make everybody happy, and I don't know if their target is specifically to make you happy, Mike. I didn't watch the Formula <laughs> One uh, race, so I can't say. But I don't watch the race to find out about the broadcasting team. I can watch the race my own way. There's one specific, and and I hate to say it because I, I like Ross Chastain, but yes, Fox Sports One or Fox skit about the watermelon seed in his story yeah i was not a fan of it but guess what i tuned out i did something else while that was on or i fast forwarded if i was i don't remember if i was watching it on a replay or not you know i mean if that's the case i'm not interested that's when i'm going to go to the bathroom or go to the refrigerator whatever it is i need to do uh, there were some that obviously were entertained and i'm sure for ross Chastain. You know, they made reference to it the last time. The next time he won, it got him sponsorship and publicity, so it's a benefit to him. It's a, it's one of those, just like commercials, is a necessity. Did I think it was a little goofy or whatever other words you want to use? Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it, but you don't see me out there complaining or saying that's why NASCAR isn't being watched because of that. If you want to watch racing, you're going to watch racing. You don't want to listen to the announcer, whether it be me or anybody else, don't listen, you know, I, 
I know there's a lot of people that talk about that of watching it on TV but having the broadcast from MRN Radio, uh, Sirius XM. And I understand that, but again, there's a difference between broadcasting on radio and broadcasting on TV. That, that is something that is very different. Sharon and I actually talked, we, when we talked with Charles Head about that, of announcing a race versus a broadcast if you're doing it via any kind of streaming coverage. There is a difference. Um, you know, if, if you got cameras on, you're going to talk about whatever's on camera or whatever the producer is telling you. For radio, it is strictly about giving the entire picture. So it's just the way it's presented. I just, I don't understand the whole concept of being that uptight about the broadcasting. You get to see the race. I know the commercials interfere with that. That's one I understand. But I also understand the necessary evil to it of, I'm not going to pay the bill. <laughs> so, again, it, it, that particular one, using that as an example, it benefited Ross Chastain, his team, his sponsors, and I'm sure that comes full circle. It brings more sponsors in, so that helps the sport. Yeah, there's a lot to this. Um, and I don't know if I can cover all of it. The broadcast, is this just viewer broadcasting that's being measured here? Broadcast viewers? Uh, what do you mean? This this is the Nielsen ratings, I believe, that takes into account streaming services, hence the update that was pushed out a couple of days after the race. Okay, so this includes people that didn't watch it live, but they watched it on TV. They watched I believe it that's correct. on demand. Okay. Um, yeah, here's the thing uh, about that. I agree with Jay 100%. And I agree with you too, Mike. The broadcast has to be addressed, but that's not NASCAR's problem. NASCAR, if they don't like it, they need to go somewhere else. And they haven't done that in I don't know how long. Uh, so if that's what you're calling the fire, um, I, I, I wish they would address the broadcast because I've never, ever liked the broadcast on things. Um, now the side shows that they do, if they want to do that stuff on a side show, uh, like they used to have the speed, uh, on speed the, uh, day after the race, uh, they had a kind of a round table there. Uh, and I didn't mind if they did silliness there, but during the race, I wanted to focus on the broadcast. I thought the best broadcast was when Dale Jr. was on, and I thought he, elevated the level, and we talked about this. I thought he made everybody else better on that broadcast because he was so focused on what was going on in the race. But traditionally, they don't, sometimes they don't, they miss so much of what's happening in that race. A lot of people, and I know a lot of people, put on the broadcast to listen to a race on the radio while they're watching it on TV because they get more information about what's happening in the race. That's where improvement is definitely needed. Uh, if, if you're streaming it, yeah, people are going to do exactly what Jay said. They're going to fast forward through it, and they're not going to listen to the last ones. Again, if you don't like it, don't tune in. Uh, and that's where the viewership is going to go down. Uh, if they don't have viewership for these pre-race shows, 
then that's where it's going to go down. Now, on the other side of that coin, who do you think does like some of that stuff? It's probably the 18 to 49 demographic, and that's what's so ironic about this. Some of what they're trying to do is to attract that 18 to 49 demographic, and that's what they're doing to attract that group. Um, do I agree with it? No, because I'm a diehard race fan, and I want to watch I want them to focus on the other things. I want them to focus on the race. Um, so I, I, it, it's uh, something that NASCAR needs to look at from that perspective. I wouldn't miss I know you're calling it smoke. I haven't heard anybody downplaying it. I know that we went through a period of time where we did not have um, uh, the viewership, and it was down for various and assorted reasons. Uh, the last two years, probably um, uh, the pandemic had something to do with uh, nobody being at the track. But uh, as far as watching it on TV, uh, we did see a little bit of an uptick there uh, over the last year or so. But I, I just think that, um, that NASCAR needs to look at the broadcasting venue. And it's a little bit of a conundrum because the Democratic the demographic that they're trying to attract is that 1849 demographic. And those are the people that are going to get a big kick out of the nonsense that they get into sometimes. Uh, it's not the race. It's not the people like you and me. But I'm like, Jay, if, if you don't like what they're showing, turn it off. It's a real simple question. Uh, turn on the, turn on the uh, radio. Uh, but don't you know, people complaining about it. I understand where NASCAR can turn a deaf ear at a certain time because no matter what NASCAR does, somebody is going to complain, period. It doesn't matter how good it is or how bad it is, somebody is going to complain about it. And that is just the rule of what it is. Uh, And sometimes... When people complain too much, people turn a deaf ear to it. It's just what happens. So if you want to change that, stop complaining all the time. Mike? Um, Yeah, you're right. NASCAR doesn't control – well, they don't produce the broadcast content, but it is their product that's being showcased. So – to say that it's entirely on Fox and NBC for the content that's on the broadcast, I mean, it is and it isn't. Obviously, if NASCAR sees that the broadcast product is dragging down the presentation of the racing itself and they think that there's room for improvement, I'm sure the executives at Fox and NBC are just a phone call away to try and make improvements on the broadcast product. And I'm sure they have those discussions, but I think they they need to look at where Formula One is winning on the broadcast front and what they can do to improve it. Um, So another indication that there's issues with the broadcast, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, is how much you miss. Take the recent Martinsville race, for example. I only watched it on TV. I thought that race was lousy. I didn't think there was any action to be seen, et cetera. But then you talk to some people who were actually at the race, and they're like, you know, it, it wasn't the best I've ever seen, but, man, there was a lot of racing through the back of the pack. They never showed any of it on TV. None of it. They showed the majority of the race broadcast was the leader, either Chase Elliott or William Byron, because those were the only two leaders for that whole race, 
out to a 10-second lead, and they just followed the leader with the camera the entire race broadcast. So that's another area that needs to be addressed in the presentation of NASCAR's product. I firmly believe that NASCAR has superior racing to Formula One. I watched both races this past weekend, one next to the other. NASCAR has a much more interesting, compelling, and competitive race product on the track at any given time. There's probably more passes in one or two laps in any given NASCAR race than there is in an entire race in Formula One. The broadcast needs to do a better job of showcasing that action and spend less time talking about non-consequential, irrelevant things and more time talking about the action that's going on on the racetrack. And I think that would go a long way to showcasing NASCAR's superior product in a better way. And the other thing you also pointed out was uh, Formula One with Drive to Survive on Netflix, which if you're not familiar, I think they're on their third season of it now. It's a Netflix series that follows mm-hmm. Formula One, uh, the given team in Formula One throughout the course of a season. And I only watched the first season of it. I don't subscribe to Netflix anymore, but I only watched the first season of it, and it was excellent. They presented Formula One in a way that is very professional, compelling. It showcased the technical aspects of the sport. And, it, it, you know, everyone in the sport looked like, you know, a 900-pound brain who was still a pretty decent guy to hang around with. And it was a very positive look to the sport, and a lot of people are attributing Formula One's growing success in the U.S. to the success of that Drive to Survive series on Netflix, and I don't think they're wrong. NASCAR needs to do better with their third-party media licensing. I think that's one place that NASCAR really, really falls short is third-party media. They get, obviously, they have the race broadcast of the actual races themselves. Then you have kind of the second-tier stuff that talk about the races, you know, your NASCAR race hub and and similar shows like that. But what I'm talking about when I say third-party media, I mean stuff that's not about specific races or following the timeline necessarily of what's going on in racing right now. So what's NASCAR got for third-party media? Well, the most recent one was The Crew, which was a terrible Kevin James-led sitcom. And prior to that, it was Talladega Nights. And that was 12, 13 years ago when that movie first came out. And the overarching theme of whenever NASCAR is mentioned in third-party media, it's almost always just the butt of a joke. Ha-ha, look at the dumb hicks driving in circles. And that's a major problem with NASCAR's image that they need to work on presenting better in this third-party media. NASCAR's every well, single bit Chase is technical. Chase, uh, and, Chase Elliott's got I'm sorry? going on, doesn't he? I think Chase Elliott has something going on where they're calling him, don't they? I think they they were filming something. I'm not sure if it actually got pushed out because of uh, COVID. If it did, I haven't seen it. Um, but it, it, it's rare. I'll, I'll definitely say that. And it, does, it has not had the reach of, uh, of Drive to Survive, that's for sure. Um, so kind of my point on this is presenting the – extremely technical, intelligent people that make NASCAR function the way it is, I think would go a long way to improving the perception of the sport as a world-class premier series racing series that NASCAR is, instead of just a bunch of dumb hicks driving in circles, which is, unfortunately, the third-party media characterization of NASCAR all too often. Okay, yeah, there's a Chase Elliott documentary that debuted on Peacock uh, on August 25th of last year. Uh, so there are other documentaries out there uh, that do for some, uh, 
This is Ryan Blaney in Oxenville. I want to discuss the Michigan race and the playoffs. Uh, but there's also a Case Elliott uh, documentary uh, that they did last year, too. So there are other things out there, but I agree with you. There needs to be more of that and less of the, the um, Talladega Nights kind of thing. Okay. Uh, Jay, let's go ahead and move on to the next hot topic. Well, and this is this is one where Mike said something about stirring the pot that that I really thought he was going to go with. Uh, who was it? Freddie Kraft and somebody else that were engaged in the in Twitter uh, referenced Kyle Busch and the car not being able to be moved. As far as I know. Uh, I don't even know if Kyle Busch was talked to about it, but I hadn't seen anything as far as a penalty, which normally penalties are out by now, um, for having left his car sitting on the hot side of pit road. Okay. Mike? I think Jay's referring to a screenshot that I took. This was actually from Reddit from yesterday, I think, maybe two days ago. Uh, Freddie Kraft and Brett Griffin go kind of – they, they go trolling for content on Reddit every once in a while, and they posted a picture. It's kind of an aerial shot. I don't know if it was taken from the top of the grandstands. I think so. But anyway, it was Kyle Busch's car stopped on pit road, turned about 30 degrees towards the inside pit wall, and very clearly looked like he could have made that turn. And the, the, kind of the implied question was, did anyone really think that Kyle Busch couldn't have made the turn into the garage area and get off a of pit road? So that's, that's what Jay is alluding to there. We talked about this at length on Monday, and you're right. I'm surprised. I haven't heard anything about a penalty from that. Uh, maybe NASCAR is laying a little bit low on Kyle Busch, given the good news that they've had today, which, by the way, I wasn't going to bring it up as a separate hot topic, but since we're talking about the man, congratulations to Kyle and Samantha. They had their daughter uh, was born, I think it was Monday, uh, Lennox Bush, and uh, congratulations to the Bush family for that one. Uh, so maybe that was NASCAR's uh, birthday present for Lennox was uh, Kyle doesn't catch his penalty for the weekend. <laughs> okay. I I um it yeah I know we did talk about this kind of at length on Monday. Um, I think that there are other factors that were involved in all of that as we discussed on Monday and next year. Last year he was paralyzed uh, for cash uh, because he went into pit road. He was a little hot headed and uh, was right going in there. Um, and knocked over some cars, and NASCAR considered it a safety issue. Uh, that was on Carol Bush's mind when he was headed toward the garage. Uh, he said, and the wheel, if you look at the wheel of that car, that wheel was out of whack. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know how anybody can look at that wheel and think that he could have made that turn uh, completely. I could see where the car was probably stopped there. Also on his mind, he did not want to get penalized to get uh, going on to pit road hot-headed and, and creating an unsafe environment for the fans that were standing there. Um, and after, I, I think they did the right thing. Uh, Kyle Bush explained it uh, and, and told everybody what, what happened there. Uh, and I don't know why these guys want to stir it up, but... Uh, Take a look at the wheel, which that picture does not show. The wheel is completely out of whack uh, on that car. 
and when you've got a wheel that's out of whack the way that one was, it's not going to make that turn. Uh, Jay? I, w- I was a little surprised that we didn't hear anything from NASCAR at least addressing it. Say, hey, we talked with Kyle Busch. The car was immobile. Um, you know, that there wouldn't be any penalty, but we did talk to him. That's what kind of surprises me. Um, I thought there might be, again, maybe a monetary fine. Uh, I know you said, that, like you said, that's the exact spot where he got in trouble for running through the cones last year. And looking at that shot, the cones aren't set up there. They're moved to the side. Now, I don't know when that shot was taken. If when he made the turn, the cones were there and somebody moved them after. Um, but obviously he said, you know, that that was in the back of his mind, as well as the fact that the car wouldn't turn. So, yeah, if he felt it was going to unsafely, you know, if he tried to make the corner and then couldn't and skidded further wide than he wanted, people are there. Uh the way he handled himself with that, I understand, you know, again, we talked about, yeah, there's room for improvement, uh, just like with the broadcast. There's room for improvement, mm-hmm. always. So I'm just a little surprised, though, that it, there was nothing said about it. Uh, like I said, normally if there's a situation like that, and I didn't listen to uh, Sirius XM as much this week, but normally uh, Scott Miller makes an appearance uh, once throughout the week, and he'll at least say, hey, we've – addressed it it's been talked about it's done or it's not an issue uh we just haven't heard anything out of anybody and if that's what they've decided to do i you know i'm fine with that it's just a little surprising that we didn't hear anything other than those and if you don't follow freddie Kraft on uh on twitter he is one that definitely does like to just stir the pot period so uh (laughs) take that for what it is yeah, and just so you know, uh, the the reason Scott Miller makes a statement is because there's been a request by the media uh, to have a statement from NASCAR about a particular situation. Uh, that's clearly outlined uh, as part of their policy. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, maybe Okay, yeah, I think it's here. In-race, post-race media access policy. Should the media request an NASCAR interpretation of an officiating call, race procedure, etc., during the event itself, the lead NASCAR communications competition staff person contacts the control tower and requests an interpretation or explanation. That information has been shared on the media the media on-site and the media center press box and also communicated via uh, social media channels. Should the issue warrant a clarification for live network TV, NASCAR Communications will relay the request to the Vice President of Competition and or the series, series director and ask if he would come to the TV booth and provide an on-air explanation. Um, so that's, that's the short part of this. There's another paragraph here, but basically uh, the media has to request that for them to make a comment. So apparently there was no request from the media for that explanation. Uh, Mike, go ahead with your follow-up. Uh, it's not so much how many people don't follow Freddie Kraft on Twitter. It's how many people are blocked by Freddie Kraft who don't see his content. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't know, Freddie is notorious for 
if you say anything that he doesn't remotely agree with, then he will block you immediately. So that's he's probably blocked me now for just saying that on the radio show. But anyway, uh, we talked at length about this. I'm not going to rehash my opinion on whether it should or shouldn't have been a penalty. But um, I do agree with Jay. The radio silence from NASCAR was the weirdest part. Uh, here we are on Thursday night. Uh, there has been no penalty announced, so I'm going to assume that that means that it's a no call. There will be no penalty. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more this weekend. But with as much attention as it got during the race broadcast itself, as well as in the days following, uh, I agree. It's kind of weird that there wasn't even uh, a statement from somebody on SiriusXM, Scott Miller or otherwise, about what NASCAR's reasoning was or if they found more information or, or, or whatever. Something else for us as the fans, because the only thing official that we've gotten was what we saw on Sunday evening when it happened, and there hasn't been anything else since then. So I'm kind of hoping we hear a little bit more this weekend. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly possible that uh, with all the conversation that there has been about it, uh, that uh, somebody will make a comment about it this week. Or, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's a gift <laughs> to Kyle Bush. I, I think he gave his explanation and after accepted it, and uh, they're moving on from it. So not a whole lot more to say. Uh, there, so Jay, I'll let you say whatever your follow-up is. Yeah, uh, the fact that neither side has said boo about it, I guess uh, you know it is a dead issue. I was just a little, like I said, a little surprised there wasn't some um, addressing of it. Now I didn't realize that from the from a NASCAR standpoint, as you said, that that has to be requested. So I guess the media also accepted it. Uh, Freddie Kraft not being media, being a spotter on Twitter who uh, does what he does. So um, I guess that wasn't sufficient enough to uh, draw NASCAR's attention. Yeah, and and then, you know, it goes on to say here that if there is a request, uh, that person is not supposed to talk to the media until um, NASCAR comes out with their explanation. After the explanation, then they can they can say something but uh and and NASCAR has to obviously have that conversation with the individual that's involved as well uh before anything can be said so so that NASCAR has both you know the other side of the story but anyway um I guess uh that's it for that one then uh let's is there anything else that we need to discuss here tonight? We're coming up uh, close to the top of the hour. Well, I know uh, I don't think we got enough time, um, and I didn't, I couldn't find the uh, spot back where I had found it. NASCAR missed a call, uh, Mike. I'm surprised you didn't bring this one up because I remember thinking it, and I I'd meant to share the uh, some of the links for it, but. I do want to address that one come Monday, I guess. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the driver off the top of my head now. Driving across the uh, choose cone, if you will, the choose line, and not being penalized. I know on the broadcast they talked a lot about it. There you go. Thank you. Um, and he's aware. I mean, and it sounded like NASCAR admitted they missed one. Um, we've, we've talked about that before, of, of NASCAR missing something. They missed a big one. And... I like Ty Majeski, and I'm glad to see him have a good run and a good finish, but he got away with one. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Mike, anything you want to say about that? Uh, not in three minutes or less, but yeah, I agree. This is a big no call here, uh, a missed call, I should say. This was not an intentional no call on NASCAR's part, and it affected the outcome of the race. Time to get Jeske should have been penalized for it. He was not, and finished much better than you would assume he would finish had he actually received the penalty that he was due. And as a result, every driver that he finished ahead of is one spot lower than they should be and points fewer than they should have because NASCAR missed that call right at the end of the truck race. That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and I would just say NASCAR is aware of it now. They know that they made the mistake, and I applaud them for acknowledging that. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that NASCAR is reviewing it and looking at their process and how they can avoid that from happening again in the future. Uh, but we can talk about it on Monday. Uh, I didn't find it on the board, Jay. Uh, so if you can move it forward somehow, that would be helpful for Monday's conversation. Yeah, no, that's why I say oh. uh, it was one I I'd kind of forgotten about, and when uh, getting ready for the show tonight, I couldn't find back uh, what I had found on it. Um, so, no, it wasn't on the board. Um, and and oh. part of that, I know it was NASCAR saying that they, they were aware they had made a mistake. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, I think we did, like Mike said, it, it's not going to be covered in three minutes here, so... We'll put it on right. the board for Monday. I'll find find something on it. Okay. Let's go ahead and do our roundtable then, Jay. Mike, we'll start with you. Sure. It's Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Still got the article up about my experience at Talladega Super Speedway. Unfortunately, my time on the show has come to an end for a little while. I've got to return to what actually pays the bills for the next couple of weeks. So I'll keep you posted on when I'll be around. I'll be on the race day chats and whatnot. So you haven't heard the end of me. I look forward to talking to you all later this summer. Okay, Jay. All right, you follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And after a couple of weeks at home, I'm going to be back out on the road. Uh, Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway this weekend, and then making a trip to Cherokee Speedway, one of the bucket list dirt tracks in South Carolina coming uh, the following weekend. So looking forward to the rest of the month of May as far as uh, dirt track racing. Okay. Um, and uh, I am Banff Racing site on Twitter, Fanforacing blog and radio everywhere else, including Fanforacing.com, where we have our media player for Fanforacing Radio. And um, uh, we did our preview show earlier tonight. Uh, we thank everybody for tuning in to hear what we have to say uh, for that, as well as our hot topic sound up. A big shout out to uh, both Jay and Mike, uh, our Fanforacing crew on the show here tonight. And um, uh, Mike, we're going to miss you. Uh, our, our, our hot topic segment, but generally you'll be back. So, uh, Jay, it's always good to have you here, and uh, we appreciate uh, everything that you do with the Conference and Fantasy Group, which we got an update on that. Um, that was good as well. So, go ahead. With that, Mike, I know you said you tuned in to, to hear that you were at the bottom of, of some of them. Did you hear me say thank you? Because your uh, notification, early enough notification, I know Sam got caught in a little bit, but we were able to straighten that out with the Matt Crafton penalty. And I did want to make sure you heard me say thank you um, to get that updated quick enough that it wasn't a major uh, 
or I, deal I think I heard something about 100, uh, 100 bonus points. Is that what I heard? It was kind of fuzzy there. But yeah, that's that's. Uh, I said something like that. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's good that he brought that up. I think they just pronounced it uh, this afternoon, so it's good that we got that up there and got those changes in there. Um, but uh, again, thank you to everybody uh, uh, for tuning in, and we we'll look forward to talking to you on the other side of the races at Kansas Speedway this weekend. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.